the Koigig part. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Tuesday morning of Grand Slam weekend of St. Patrick's Week. It's a short week this week for a lot of people. Not us. We will have lots of programming coming your way on Friday. I did the look into the side thing there because it kind of is for me. <laughs> there's, um, there's a lot of body language going on uh, uh, analysis in American football at the moment where uh, general managers are being asked about their best players and they're like touching their head and like oh we really love this guy he's amazing and uh, apparently that's a bad sign the way really scratches the beard it's like mm, I'm, I'm a guilty man yeah uh, they said that about Alex Ferguson in his press conferences on a Friday briefing that he would put his um, hands behind his head like this and lean back which apparently is a sign of uh, unconscious superiority uh, I'd say in his case it wasn't so unconscious. Oh, very conscious that. What are you talking about? You can actually look back. There's there's loads of shots of him in but, in different different uh, different body language, but essentially this this kind of thing going on here. I was, re- I was reading somewhere recently last week where you should move slower, move your body in slower movements, and you look like a more confident human being generally. Do you know if you're real skittish and like whatever, you, you actually look like you're not in control of yourself. But if you actually just consciously move yourself, just carry yourself a little bit. Um, Eff- more effortlessly and slower it, uh, it I don't know it, it adds to people's opinions of you it's there you go portrays a sense of calm Free and assuredness yeah maybe that's you know? it Jojo's nodding away here he knows sound, fact. sound engineer Jojo yeah. we bounce everything off Jojo if he says yes or no to it uh, but yeah I, um, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd, I'd be big into the old body language mm. studies do you know I, I'd find them interesting I'm not sure if I agree with them all now do you know but I would find it, I'd find the findings somewhat Mm, tell me more. Telling. And okay. that Ferguson thing I was very interested in. Well, is there not a fatal flaw in the Ferguson thing in that he did think and assume that he was superior to literally everybody mm. that he came in contact with all day, every day, apart from maybe his wife at the start of the day and at the end of the day. Everybody else was viewed as a subject to be managed, maintained, wrung dry, and then tossed aside. Well, it wasn't, yeah, wasn't that that they said about the Kenny Dalglish relationship that he had? That, that was one of the few people that he did feel at the very best equal to, but maybe even inferior to, because Dalglish was such a superior player and also quite a successful manager in his own right, certainly in the early to mid-90s. From 95 onwards, OK, Ferguson had it to himself. But what he did with Liverpool as player manager and then Blackburn in 95, there was that feeling uh, out there that Ferguson felt a bit intimidated by Dalglish and also in the initial Champions League days with... United when oh, they went sure. to Lodge, yeah, that he would be like okay these are proper well, coaches I'm up against here like Capello and Lippi and I need to no, act fair like enough that. and I think that that certainly drove the obsession to, to eventually win the Champions League but I do feel like if he's in a room with, with journalists who he feels comfortable banning from he feels comfortable stopping them do their job then that's not unconscious at all that's like a, I'm going to manspread here guys but and you're, you're unconsciously there you're, you're going to all you're going to pay attention it does look good doesn't it like it's like no I don't <laughs> care no it does not look good no but like it's no. like I don't care what anyone thinks 
you know there's a does one have to uh, behave and think and act that way in order to be incredibly generationally successful no I don't think so no you don't, you don't need to Andy Farrell Andy, I was just going to transition to Andy Farrell just so going to say Farrell there's a little trick I, I was there the day Andy Farrell became Ireland coach at, the, at Abbottstown and, mm. and uh, he did a press card I feel like it was around Christmas but he, he brought um, there was maybe around 10 of us sitting around a round table and he, post World Cup alright possibly yeah and uh, he gave us all Frere Rocher, like a packet of Frere Rocher. He had huh? one for every journalist that was there. Huh? Like, this, is, this is classy. And impressive. Yeah. It was just little things like that that I was like, this guy's going to be good. Just bear in mind that the, the, there was a lot of people early on going, oh, this is no good, this is no good, this is out of his depth. And it's like, oh, I don't hear so much of those people sticking to that opinion anymore. And in fairness, uh, they were wrong. It's Kinesics, isn't it? The study of body language. Kinesics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up, but... I'd like to do a course on it. The, the, um, do you know what? I, I watched an Irish goodbye last night. Uh, oh, I meant to watch it. It's brilliant. It's like, it's straight in at uh, number one of the three. Uh, that and uh, on Colin Kuhn are one and one A. And then obviously Banshees is trailing in third. What's about two brothers rekindle their mother dies or something? Is that yeah, the so the, the, the opening scene is them um, with the ashes in the car going back to... The one brother lives in England and the other was on the farm with the ma and now they're going to um, ship the brother who was living at home off to live with an aunt. Right. And the brother is going to feck off back to England and live his life. So, and that's the, I'm not giving anything away because that's yeah, all set up. Spoilers. But the other big thing coming out of the, the Oscars was, of course, we're supposed to be outraged. We are supposed to be absolutely... Oh, yeah. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. was basically the messages that I've been getting for the last 24 hours. Saturday Night Live did their usual, uh, the Irish are drunk did, did, did and hard you see to... that, by the way? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But they've been making the same sticky joke for 20 years on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't know. Are you, are you all of... Anyway, top of the moron. This is it. And Jimmy Kimmel is next. Apparently, he, he's also guilty. This is the front of the Irish Daily Star. Irish stars baffled by Kimmel's paddywhackery at Oscars Bash. Now... Paddy Wackery is, you know, <laughs> what, what Banshees of Inishirin was the 11, no, the vast majority of our nominations. Mm-hmm. Right. The Banshees of Inishirin. So we're, we're supposed to be offended at Paddy Wackery. It's okay when we do it. Or if you're like English and you do it. But you can hire a lot of Irish people to do it for you. Mm-hmm. But top of the moron, right? Jimmy Kimmel has been slated for a string of lame jokes, poking fun at Irish stars as he hosted the Oscars. That's the front of the paper. <laughs> on the back of the paper is Mac Hansen talking about being unable to concentrate in the captain's meeting last year in Dublin because it was Paddy's weekend and there was a drunken brawl going on outside the hotel and they're like what's going on over here what's this we've got to pay attention to this Can't, sorry st- sh- shut up whoever the captain it would have been Sexton for the last game was, he, was Sexton Sexton's there like this is what we're going to do we're going to go after Finn Russell in their back row you've got to be smothering them and Mac Anthony and the boys are like eyes to the window going oh there's a brawl going watch this the guy the guy over there hasn't done anything yet keep an eye on him and then an ambulance comes because there's somebody sparked out cold Mac Anthony's revealing the details happy Paddy's day Top of the moron, though, we're supposed to be outraged when somebody says that we're, you know, prone to drunkenness. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Is this a little bit? We don't know. But that could have been a... That could have been... Uh, we don't know. There could have been tourists. Well, it could have been tourists. There could have been tourists. They're the only ones who were in Dublin. That, uh, we don't even know it was in Dublin. It was, it was in a hotel in Ireland. Mm. It could have been any of the hotels that the rugby team stay in. Or they might have just been visiting for the day. There's we're a not scale, scared. isn't there? Like, if the Americans kind of slag off the Irish uh, affinity to drink, we don't really mind. But if the English do it, we're like, hold on a minute, lads. Shut up. 
No, I just think it has to be funny. That's all it is. If it's not, but funny, it, well, sorry, it, that's, that's uh, it. It's just uh, we don't mind being uh, sliced off at all if it's this, funny. The skit was so it, for people who haven't seen the skit, Brendan Leeson and Colin Farrell, uh, the actors who play them, walk out and. Um, they do actually quite look quite uh, like the, as S- yeah. SNL tend to yeah. do, um, but they start speaking and start speaking gibberish because that's the way Irish people talk and no one can understand what they're saying. And then they walk away and the uh, presenters are like, "And they haven't even started drinking yet." The usual La- the crowd yeah. lap it up like, "What's well, fair enough?" But um, it's funny because they're two of our more articulate people, really. Mm. I mean, Farrell, like oh, they're yeah. so eloquent, the two of them, the way they, they speak, so funny that they picked on those two but I guess that's a part of the joke as well but yeah it just kind of has to be funny uh, also Mac Hansen just sounds so excited he hasn't played England yet I know bear that I, in mind I do think though that it's, it's like we're, we're supposed to be outraged about this and then actually you know what I mean are you, like, allowed, you allowed to get outraged by it I don't a bit of I, I, I think that um or outraged by the lack of comedy. Yeah. First off, yes, right. That's the that is uh, fundamentally that's the important thing. If you're trying to make a joke, it should be funny. Yeah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be shit. What, what's the like if they start slagging the famine or the spuds? Like, I look what, up, what's I, the cut no, off point? No, I don't have it. Like, why? Why are you getting upset what somebody else thinks of you? True. Like, yeah. You read all these self-help books, surely. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. You take what you want. It just. It reveals your character. That's yeah. what that is. I don't need self help book. They're a load of they're a load of crap. Self self book. That body language there with the itching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, they are a load of crap. Yeah, well, you not just, I don't need someone to tell me how, how to feel. Ah, we all you do. Know. We all do. I, I know Sometimes the things you, you do. You can't yeah. uh, introspection only goes so just far. Motivational like. quotes. Yeah, that's I know what I live by. Yeah, I Google it every time. Yeah, just go on Google Images. There, motivational quotes. They do help. Yeah, get some lovely ones. In fact, I just go out and look at the look at space, look at the stars at nighttime. That helps me. Um, Each to their own. Uh, sorry, it's, it's 7.40 this morning. I should just tell everybody. Uh, we're going to have Ron Nagara and Matt Williams on the show a little bit later on. John Duggan is at Cheltenham. Plenty more coming your way as well, including some Tommy Walsh goodness around about half past nine. Uh, Cheltenham starts today. Is everybody excited? Buzzing. Buzzing. Some week for Ireland, isn't it? Ah, lads. My God, like. I forgot the Champions League was on tonight because of Cheltenham and because of the Six Nations. Cheltenham like. Grand Slam Paddy's there. Yeah. Uh, Cheltenham, yeah, it is exciting. Shane, you were telling me beforehand. Big fan. Big fan of Cheltenham. Uh, it's that week where myself and my friends become experts on horse, ra- horse racing for one week only. Um, in complete antithesis to all of those brilliant uh, horse racing journalists in, in Ireland out there, John Duggan being one of them, um, who, who uh, live and breathe this stuff for the for the rest of the eleven months and three weeks of the year. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy it. We, we we usually go to the pub on Paddy's Day and prop up at the bar, pint of stout, put on the old little small bed or two and. And enjoy the day. So, uh, yeah, it's a brilliant week. And, and to, to be Irish as well on Chatham Week when we destroy the English, inevitably, it uh, it just adds to it. Presbury Cup is like the easiest trophy of all time. It's nearly, like, did someone say yesterday, the Six Nations has nine trophies and there are only six teams in it. So, I mean, uh, I mean that's that's a lot of crap. I uh, it's, uh, but it's, they don't really, I mean, the, the quitch isn't really a trophy. It's just a, it's a token of something to say that there's a game here and let's have a, it's not a trophy. There's no need for it though. Well, it's just. A, but what's wrong with it? Why? Why are you getting upset about it? Well, uh, Triple Crown, great. Grand Slam, fantastic. Six Nations Championship, yeah, understandable. But like, here's the thing: they play them every year. Uh, like the the Calcutta Cup, they play them every year, but it's only once a year that they play it. And so once a year, you play this team, and there's a thing to signify it, and it's like a thing that they hand over at the end, and it's no big deal. The thing is, the Six Nations Championship or the Grand Slam or the Triple Crown. Yeah, we're going to get something by beating those teams anyway. It's really smart. 
Do you know what? Why? It increases motivation. You the players don't give a win. Crap. Many options to win trophies. People love winning trophies. No, no. It's Did you see the photo of the Irish players holding the centenary? You are great. presented with the trophy. They looked like they were handed an urn of their dog. Self-esteem wise, self-help like, book. They looked like they were handed an urn of their dog's ashes. Columns. Yeah, that's what they were handed. They were. They were. They looked trophy. Depressed. You're being sidetracked. You're being sidetracked. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. That's my point. It's irrelevant. But but then don't why they handing it out? Don't get worried about it. Don't don't. You're sweating the small stuff here. I know, but you're you're accepting the talking points of morons. Nine trophies. That's what's happening. Teams. Oh, I can't believe this is going on. Like, <laughs> don't, you, you just ignore it there. You go back to being little insular and only interested in your thing. That's fine. And that's, that's your life. That's fine. I've got to go back to self-help books, I think. To calm myself down. But Mark no. Your Cards is our daily podcast for Cheltenham, hosted by John Duggan. It's available in your podcast feed right now if you want some uh, good advice. John will be with yes. us a little bit later on, around about 8.50 this morning. You can subscribe to Mark Your Card in the OTB Daily feed. It'll drop before 6 o'clock every morning this week, so uh, you can listen to it on your way into work and have some good quality advice. Uh, I think the ghost of Manu Tuolagi is something that I'm not sure yeah. that we, we this woke up this morning to oh, Tuolagi's back just for Ireland. Yeah. Manu Tuolagi never lost against Ireland. Yeah, six tests, six wins against Ireland. Finished a three-week ban. Um, I, I was... Uh, there's a, there's a, back. There's a curve that you, you go on in, in match weeks which like takes you all the way up to either intense levels of excitement and anticipation just before kickoff or absolute fear mm. and uh, I was at the I started off the week after the Scotland game on the intense level of excitement for the home Grand Slam and now the slowly the, the, the S-curve is hitting the top and it's you're like, confident That's well Matatulagi news this morning like Matatulagi has literally finished the careers of some of Ireland's hmm. best ever players like with his sheer physical force uh, I'd, and uh, uh, you know I'm like this is don't like this. Even you know, I don't. The new coaching ticket in England is going to take its time to. But it's, I it's, don't know. Uh, it's, it's, there's a ghost. I don't think the physicality. Like so you look at the size of some of those Scotland lads last weekend, and then the Irish players laughing at halftime in there, going, "This yeah. is ridiculous." Yeah, but haven't had like several of our best players knocked out. Yeah, but like the fact that they were able to respond to that. Yeah, but they won't be able to respond to it again. Say, say we lose. Say we lose another five players in the first yeah. forty minutes. Well, you hope that's. Well, not suddenly, happen. suddenly we're not bringing off like a bunch of lions from the bench. We're bringing off players who aren't starting for their provinces. Mm. And I, you know, I, obviously our mentality monsters is, is that's all well and good. But man, you like he's just he's just a little bit of a ghost. Yeah, not yeah. a big fan of the, seeing ghosts on the pitch. The psychological preparation for this game too would be more akin to the Italy build-up, wouldn't it? in terms of form like cause into the Italy game Ireland was like well it's a matter of how much they're going to win by and that really is what people are talking about here against England whereas the build up to Scotland was like this is going to be a serious test now if you listen to Andy Dunn of course again correctly predicting <laughs> they're going to win to the T 15 points but the talk was Scotland are going to give us a serious game and in the first half that was very much the well, case did, yeah. the talk at the moment so far this week is uh, well what's the earliest that we can start celebrating this match against England oh, because like the result like is inevitable but that is what people are saying because England were so catastrophically poor against France even though France were amazing and Ireland are the best team in the world so therefore this is a procession isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> the court came out there and then you realise that um, you know there's like a bunch of angry full-time professionals who have a, an opportunity to turn not just their season but in some cases their careers around like if England were to win this game all of a sudden that many of those England players they're saying that some England players careers will be over if they lose in a similar manner to what happened mm. you know so they're cornered there's so much on the line for England yeah. they mm. can't get demolished again I think look home advantage is massive here I know Roy Keane says oh, sure, the, 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 the fans don't win the match but like 
it, it's going to have a massive impact. Can you uh, imagine? Marcus Smith has already said there's no better week than this than a free swing in Ireland. Oh. That's Marcus Smith. He won't get the swing. He'll Owen, be on the bench. If Owen Farrell comes back in as well, Tuolagi comes back in. These are like winning mentalities if. if. Slightly underrated aspect of the whole uh, Owen Farrell situation is that um, we're talking about Ireland having the top two point scorers in the history of the Six Nations locked forever at the moment on 557 points Oh, Farrell is only uh, yeah, 35 points yeah, he's got to I mean he's going to hold the record for a long time I'd say Owen Farrell isn't he well I don't know he might, the, the, the Marcus Smith era might start immediately after the World Cup oh, mm. so this could be his last Six Nations game imagine um, imagine Ireland are, are two points up don't in the Colum, 78th Colum, minute Colum. and uh, you don't have Owen, to say Owen Farrell gets a penalty for England and misses it and looks up at Andy in the stands Andy nods it there could be so much on the line pulls here. it left and wide Owen Farrell's only 31 so I don't think he's gone anywhere anytime soon no. oh lads I'm nervous Jesus uh, like d- sorry at home do we you know the way it's Ireland's call at the moment do we, is, does Aaron Levine get played as well at home or is that completely gone oh no of course it does yeah. oh, of course yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, back so it's back. only at the away games that Ireland's call is the only yeah. option yeah, yeah. but also you look and like the other reason too that this should be a procession really is the record at the Aviva under Andy Farrell they've won their last 13 home tests mm. they've won 19 of their 26 Nations games at the Aviva under Andy Farrell they've only lost twice in the last couple of years and this is the most out of sorts we've ever seen in England yeah all signs point I mean sorry are we, are we sleepwalking into the performance aspect of this uh, well, as, as, as pundits not as the players I'm fans sure are you know obviously everybody is like oh where are you having your Grand Slam party <laughs> where's the best place to have a Grand Slam party what snacks do you need for your Grand Slam party it's almost like it's a Super Bowl type um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's a little bit different it's a little bit different I, I presume for the players if you said on paper oh Henderson's out Guy Ringrose is out you're like oh we're screwed but then you see Henshaw come in well, I mean, today will be the, in. the first, I suppose, proper day of training ahead of the match after the recovery. And I'm sure that will be the talk, won't it? About complacency and avoiding it. Yeah. I, I'm sure the players will have a cover, but it does feel the talk of it so but far. They, but they've been favourites for every single game in the Six Nations so far. Yeah. I don't, so, I don't know. If yeah, but the France, it was different for the France build-up as this is going to be incredibly tight. Scotland, yeah, favourites, but it's going to be very difficult at Murrayfield. Mm. Where's the first game? The only game, really, that's similar to this, I think, is the Italy build-up. Yeah, and we didn't pick our full team for the Italy game. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, look, we'll get into the uh, we'll get into the yeah. specifics of team selection for this week and, and the depth. Um, it was interesting, you know, that Ross Maloney has been called up, but uh, Treadwell was already in the squad, so you think that that's the depth chart there. And he played really well when he was called on, and maybe it's another opportunity for him to remind everybody that he should be getting more game time when he goes back to Ulster and it gets to be first choice. So, um, yeah. Um, do you know what's getting completely lost in all of this? Go all on. the excitement. We're very rugby heavy for the next hour on the show, of course, quite rightly. All the stuff that's happening. Cheltenham, Paddy's Day. The Champions League resumes tonight. Yeah. I mean, forget about it. Manchester City won all against Leipzig. Pep Guardiola has come out and called out Kevin De Bruyne. Get back to basics, Kev. Even though he's our top assistant maker again this season with 13. Get back to basics, Kev. You know, we, need, we need you. You need to be better than this. But it's one all with Leipzig. That's finely poised. Feeling the pressure. Like Tonight is there. Is there... It's the big one for them. They have to win the Champions League this season. If they get Erling Haaland is in tonight, and they win the Premier League, it's not a successful season. I think. I think that like the the okay in in normal circumstances you'd say they don't really have to win it right now. They're always going to be amazing. They've got a young, uh, great young crop of players coming through. But given the financial situation and given the investigations that are happening, there is a possibility that they don't have the same team ever again. That it is now or never for Manchester City. And their performance in the first leg was pretty flaky. Yeah. 
Like it, it is, it was a stereotypical European performance from Manchester City, where they allowed a supposedly inferior team to create chances and take those chances. And I, I don't feel anyway confident that they're going to sweep Leipzig aside with a two or three nil. Now maybe they score an early goal and everybody performs, and uh, we get to see the best of them and there's a period now where they put down their best football and you know that sweeps them to glory in two fronts but we'll see it ain't, it ain't a shoe in for sure if you're a Man City fan we'd love to hear from you this morning 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or of course you can always get us on Twitter at Off The Ball AM at 10 to 8 this morning I'm delighted to say Ronan Nogara is with us Ronan good morning to you how are you? Good morning Jar. Hey Shane Morning um, I don't know how much you know about the 1972 Miami Dolphins. Given that you nearly played for them, I presume uh, this is the, one of your favourite stories. <laughs> so, uh, they, they for, for the uninitiated, they went through the whole season unbeaten and won the Super Bowl. And so every year, whenever the last team who were unbeaten would, would lose a game, they'd get together and drink champagne. So I presume when Johnny was coming off not having broken your record at the weekend, you were popping the champagne corks and going, ah, oh, I'm still the record holder. Um, no, 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 no. It was, I suppose when you see it in, um, in, in writing and you're the, the viewer watching it, it kind of reinforces, um, the great times in an Irish jersey. The 557 points in the Six Nations is, is, is quite incredible. So, um, you know, Johnny will go on to break that this weekend and, and he's fully deserving of that. And, I'm 46, I think I had, I'm just very grateful, uh, genuinely, and to see someone who has, you know, started his international career, whatever he was, 24, I think, was it? And then um, getting better every year, it, it's, records are there to be broken. Um, I gave it everything when I was playing, and I think... Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's very special having two Irish people there. Unfortunately, Owen Farrell is only about thirty points behind you and has about five years left. It looks like so. Um, we should enjoy. That's this exactly it. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's. I knew Bijar Gilroy that came in with that because you just like um, <laughs> pointing out things factually, which is very important. Taking all the emotion <laughs> out of it, and I agree with that. And uh, there's an undercurrent of you're a bit of an asshole. I have to say with that one, Ronan. But thanks very much. No, 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 not at this like I just, I, I sometimes it's when you get out of Ireland and you leave the emotion behind it, you got to see it as pure factual, and that, and that's the, the proper observation in in in, uh, in uh, what it is. You know, it's just um, you're playing an individual sport sometimes when you're going after those kind of uh, personal records. You know, and I. I do agree with Jenny what he said, like the Grand Slam on, on Saturday will be so much more fulfilling than being, I think, top point scorer. Yeah, that's a personal uh, goal achieved. Um, but um, that satisfaction with your teammates is huge. I wouldn't underestimate that. If, if Jerry's the robot about it, I'd like to be the romanticist about it. Like this is, this is the golfer hitting 40, uh, 59. Like this is, it's Ronnie O'Sullivan hitting his thousandth century break round. And you've you got to enjoy these records. And, and like I'm sure you did at the time but it's just one of those moments that yeah I'm sure I wasn't you aware honestly I, didn't, I had no idea because I think uh, it wasn't spoken about you know uh, it was probably when you retire you're aware of, of, of what you did nowadays obviously when there's when they're there and they're targeted um, it, it becomes I suppose relevant but uh, being the top point scorer in the 
in the Six Nations is something that is huge. It's easier to to break them as well rather than set them, isn't that right? Ah, no, I wouldn't say that. You know what I mean? You've got to understand. Johnny's 37. He's been a model of consistency. He's driven. He's hugely hungry, and he's fully, fully deserving that. I, I genuinely mean that. I think, uh, you mean when you have, um, I, you know, achieve what I have in the game, and it's not about I and thing, but like with the run you had with Monster with Ireland, the. The points in the in the European Cup for me would be something that would be very 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 difficult to beat. I think for 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 a young kid and and you combine them all and that what makes me uh, so happy for Johnny this weekend because I, I posted my target in Europe in the in the world game in the club game and now uh, it's someone else's time time to shine and as I said at forty six. It'd be different if the record was broken within three weeks. <laughs> but like, you know, you've got to be so appreciative of this and in the special players you play with and the times you play with. And now Johnny's going to have that record and, and he's going to break some other records as well that, that I had. But like that's, there'll be others you won't be able to break. But that's that's what sport is. That's what giving, giving everything means. And I just... I uh, sometimes feel that people get bitter about these kind of things, but I'd be actually the opposite of it. And, and you might say that's easy for me to say on live and air, but I genuinely do feel like that. I'm uh, completely transformed in that regard from, I suppose, going into the coaching side of it. And you just want to, you don't want to put a limit on people, let them go and express themselves. And that's, I think you could see that's why Ireland won at the weekend too, in the fact that it's this, uh, no excuses mentality whatever it takes and they get the job done Can I just uh, to labour the point about uh, uh, Sexton as the captain right um, I, I I wasn't sure if he was going to make the captain that he has become certainly at the start where you know there's the shot of him looking up at the uh, the board when he's getting subbed off and he seems unhappy and just the, the talk to the referees was a little bit uh, different from the way it is now He's completely matured as a captain. Now, maybe that was always going to happen and that's just how difficult it is. But he seems like, it seems from the outside, like there's a humility there where he went off and studied how to get better at being captain. The same way he did at becoming a better 10. And really, we shouldn't have doubted. I certainly should not have had the doubt that I did at the start. I'm not sure he's going to be the great captain. Why don't we go with like one of the, the back rows or James Ryan and just skip yeah, a generation? It's a great question. I think you're right, Ger, but I think he's been shaped. And I think that's what the environment has done to him, too. I think in the fact that, um, you know, it, it was in France away, was it, when he had a, a poor reaction to being substituted? And at the time... Uh, there was comments about it and you know but the bottom line is you cannot do that when you're the captain and because it just gives if that's what the captain does imagine what a player can do it leaves that open so he went away had a look and he, he reshaped himself and I think that's a credit to Andy Farrell and, and, and I suppose the environment he has created in um, in his team and it's one person can do it and I think you can uh, underestimate his role, but it would be very, very um, um, foolish to to underappreciate or sorry, underestimate what he has done. And, yeah, obviously Johnny is is very, very diligent, very intelligent, very smart, and he went away. But like, it also takes a a, a, a team effort to kind of get him to where he is today, and. Uh, I mean, you you are right because he was a spiky character, but that's that is 
He's remained his capacity to remain an insane competitor, but also uh, to be able to communicate without a nasty tone is so important. And there is no nastiness in his in his tone at the minute. And um, as a result, Ireland are. are um, you mean you look at the weekend? I think Scotland were marched back for ten meters on two occasions. That's huge in in a test game. And uh, you mean we, normally the uh, it would be easy to associate that with Johnny, but that's uh, all removed from his game. And you mean the mental side of the game? Ireland are very very strong and uh, very very performing. There was a moment uh, in the game of the weekend, or a couple of moments, Ronan, where Johnny. Took a couple of kicks, and there were, it was certainly audible through the television that there was a bit of uh, maybe we'll call it not respect for the kicker during the the uh, those moments for Johnny at Murrayfield. Now Tom English was on with us yesterday from the BBC, and he was kind of saying he couldn't really sense that in the in the stadium, but there was certainly a smirk from Johnny a couple of times when he went to pick up the tee and, and face the crowd. Like Tom was making the point that sometimes kickers prefer the, the little bit of noise, the little bit of aggro, the bite, that the the abuse nearly being hurled at them while they're while they're kicking, and, and they rise to that. Were you a kicker that that preferred that that quiet or or, or the little bit of um, of bite coming at you from the away fans? Um, yeah, I suppose uh, because in Tom and Park it was complete and utter silence, uh, and I that was my norm, um, and that's something. Um, that spooks a lot of kickers, especially French kickers that came to Tom and Park. Because in France, I suppose the the norm wouldn't be silence. The the unwritten rule is you can do basically whatever you want when the opposition are having a shot at goal. So there's anything goes, you know. So so from that point of view, yeah, you mean you have to prepare for everything. For me, you know, and where Johnny is at his stage of the career too, it doesn't matter what people are doing you have your routine you snap into that 45 second routine and you could be in your back garden you could be in front of 180,000 people it doesn't matter you kind of switch into your process and away you go uh, whether people are having a hullabaloo or losing the plot with you uh, that's their issue you know what you're kind of doing you have a few little cues and you stick to them and the ball usually goes over the bar can we just talk a little bit about the environment um I it's hard for us to talk enough about what Andy Farrell has done when you consider the pathway that he's come through where he was definitely embedded with the team, obviously, and, and uh, central to the team when Joe Schmidt was there. But to take over and to go through the difficult period he had at the start, but at the same time to remain consistently true to what his principles were while bringing on like world-class coaching talent that many other coaches might have been afraid to bring on because of you know the potential for somebody on the team to replace you. There's a humility there. There's a self-confidence there. There's an emotional intelligence, which is, I think, underrated in terms of the things that we, we talk to him about. And then there's also, we don't really know him very well. He hasn't done long interviews. He hasn't appeared on telly doing stuff. We see the press conferences and he keeps himself, in a way, public but private. But I suspect that... What we see is is actually the reality of it. So I don't know. Can you talk to us a little bit about your impressions of the job that Farrell has done? Done an amazing job, and his record obviously is uh, is astounding. And I think also the fact that um, you mean what, what's great is that uh, you mean I think what the public here is Andy Farrell. I think I was lucky enough in my 
playing days to go over to a, a St. Helens game. And I think when you go over there, you can appreciate that they're hardworking, that they're humble, that they're respectful, that it's a different part of the world. But uh, he's very much grounded in that rugby league background, which is similar to Sean Edwards. Uh, you know, everything starts and finishes with hard work. Everything is about honesty. Everything is about discipline. But it's about being yourself. And I think uh, even at the start, he... He um, he wasn't flustered by that. I think he believed in um, in himself, and, and and that's what he's done all his life. I think from um, I mean his background is one of the best players ever to play the rugby league game, and then he he flirted with uh, rugby union, made a good go of that. But um, he's of that Wigan team where it was probably uh, an incredible uh, Wigan rugby league team, and. I think he was playing for Great Britain when he was 17, you know, so like he was a freak of a player. But then he did a stages as an assistant coach. I think his principles are very simple, and but he's also been very consistent and he just wants people to be themselves. And, and what's probably underappreciated in that is that, you know, an Andrew Porter to a Johnny Sexton is very, very different, but he's let the two of them be who they are to get the best out of them for a tight furlong to come into the leadership group to not miss a beat when he comes back in his first game looks like he's playing for the last six weeks um, because he he wants people to express themselves and expressing themselves looks very differently but he's created a kind of a, a game where he wants flow and and with the I suppose their understanding of the game plan and not being a complex game plan but based around work rate about discipline around having uh, the capacity to play what they see uh, makes makes Ireland hugely threatening. The the Hansen try in the right-hand corner, for example, there's very little on, but like Hugo Keenan uh, obviously throws out an absolutely brilliant pass where Hansen doesn't uh, break stride, but uh, you probably in the past would have seen Ireland probably uh, make a rock in the 22 as opposed to just being able to pull the trigger and back themselves and that's uh, I suppose where this team is now you know we've talked in the show about, about confidence and what it means players with confidence but what Ireland have at the minute they have momentum and they have confidence in every position from 1 to 23 and it's powerful and yet uh, at 8-7 Scotland had a great opportunity to create doubt in Ireland's mind, especially with losing, losing two of their hookers. But um, that's what separates, I think, good from great teams is that Scotland came up with four passes for weak uh, moments of play that essentially uh, gave Ireland the initiative. And with three, within three minutes, there was a different look in the game. And, and that they are big moments. You look at, uh, I mean, I think, when uh, Van der Marvel went through, he has two people free outside him and he decides to tuck the ball. If that was an Irish player, I think that's a pass and our Scotland strolling for a, uh, a try with a two-man overlap and Van der Marvel's, uh defending against Conan is a three-on-three. There's no threat whatsoever. Steps in, gets beaten. If it was at club level, you'd be extremely disappointed. But that's 14-point swing where, yes, Ireland were by far the uh, the better team in those um, moments of turning pressure into into points, but at, at times in this game, Jer, you, you, I felt that uh, this this could get away from Ireland. This could get away from Ireland pretty easily, but that's where they show their class. 
Um, in those moments where you thought that this could get away from them, was it Scotland missing the opportunity as much as Ireland? So, like, I guess if you're Andy Farrell and you're sitting coldly today going, well, we got away with one there, and so there's loads to work on, whereas we're all like, oh, this is amazing, we're going to win the Grand Slam, we just need to show up, and they're like, no, 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 no. There's about 15 or 16 areas that we need to work on this week that um, that are part of our continuum. Yeah, there was some big, big moments. I think when you look at uh, Scotland in the first half, um, for example, the last play before halftime when they line out deep in the right-hand side and they got a one metre from the line and then I think Keenan came in and he had, he had picked two men and he hit the second last, which stopped the, which stopped the try. But before that... Scotland had an opportunity, and that's a different game. If um, if Scotland scored just before half time, it's a huge boost to them. But um, there are definitely areas. Uh, I would say when Scotland had the ball, that Ireland looked condensed in defence, and that's something they look at. If they don't get their space and right, no matter against who, which team, um, it, it will make for for. Um, for a difficult afternoon because of the quality of attack out there. But Scotland, I think, are, are a better team than England, and especially Scotland playing at home. They're huge, I suppose, uh, advantage and carrot to go after Ireland. But Ireland, uh, what great teams can do is that they can step it up and, and they kill them within a three-minute period. But, um, you know, I think um, it's still... On the day in sport, people think, okay, this team just shows up and they win. You you, you can't say that, I think, at all, because uh, there were so many good things Ireland did at the weekend that they need to repeat to uh, to to be good. Obviously, at home, it'll be different because I think the England team are at, um, well, they've never hit a low like they have at the minute. Um, so they have significant problems. They looked like a team that had only come together for the first time and you can never say that at least with England you, you're probably guaranteed a physical game there was no physicality in their performance against France which was uh, very very surprising Manu is going to be back for the weekend Owen Farrell's going to be back for the weekend uh, it's suddenly a different team I mean obviously it's not that different you know they can't fix that in one go but um, there'll be some physicality in the early stages at least from those two yeah, but you've spoken about two backs, George. The game is one up front, you know. Numbers one to eight is where you need to set a platform or you need to establish, I suppose, you mean, what your values are and how you want to play the game. So, like, in that regard, there's probably, well, they will be deeply criticised from their performance at the weekend. Now, you may see a different, um, I suppose, um, spark, response, reply from the English English pack but like from people who have been watching England for a long time and I said for me I, I was shocked I suppose the lack of bite from them because that's normally what you associate with English teams in Twickenham that they'll be uh, very very physical from one to eight they were uh, not like that uh, against uh, France. One positive uh, from an Irish perspective of Ronan heading into that game at the weekend is is how they reacted to adversity. Like when you see so many players going off injured, players being played out of position, it probably surprised all, all of us who haven't played top level rugby when you see someone like Ian Healy down as a designated hooker, when you see Van der Fleer throwing at the line out as well. But it probably to someone like yourself who's involved in top level rugby, it's not that surprising. And I'm sure these guys have every single possible eventuality marked out and prepped for 
Yeah. But marked out is one thing. Being able to actually transfer it in the heat of the moment is another thing. You look at, you know, for example, a good example of that is is Kean Healy at Hooker when he took the free kick and he forgot to tap the ball. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. it, it, it's unfortunate, but like, Kean, are you okay on that? Because he knows his role, but like, he actually forgot to tap it with his foot, which can happen to anybody. And as a coach, uh, I'm sure the Irish management team had a, had a little giggle about that because that just shows that, uh, you know what I mean, we're never bulletproof in these kind of things. But w- what's very evident in this Irish squad, for me, is it's probably a collaborative approach, if that's the right word, and the fact that it's shared responsibility from the fact that it doesn't seem to be uh, any um, big difference between uh, staff and players. This responsibility seems shared. If you hear what they said, like at half time, they were laughing. That's fantastic in the fact that, yeah, we've recognised, OK, we're in a bit of a, a hole here. We've lost our two hookers. So the opposite of laughing is going, is being fear, is tensing up, is panicking while they actually just embraced it for what it was. Okay, lads, this is exactly something that we can either embrace and we can have a crack off with a smile on our face or else we can go, oh, this won't work, you know, but they actually just probably, because of Farrell, obviously have an environment where they're able to make jokes and that's very important. They're able to be themselves. They say, yeah, okay, we're in a test match away from home, a grand slam on the line here. Come on, boys, let's find a solution to this. Let's, let's have a crack off it and and that's exactly um, what they what they did. But put that in the flip side, if you can be in the Scotland management and you know that you have a substitute hooker and you haven't blocked off uh, the first point of uh, source of ball, you would be deeply frustrated. Oh, yeah. Deeply, deeply frustrated. Yeah. And uh, I'm... I- it feels like the post-mortem in Scotland is going to go on a long time, hopefully all the way through to after the World Cup. Ronan, I know we're out of time, but um, just very briefly, you're in all the papers today in England, uh, linked with Jack Knoll. Is that a done deal? Is that signed, sealed and delivered? No. <laughs> nice quick answer. Will it be? <laughs> um... Talks are in place. All right, okay, we'll leave it there for now. Good stuff, Ron. Enjoy the game. Cheers, Thanks boys. a million. Cheers. <laughs> Eleven minutes past eight this morning. Good mood. Yeah, he's put me in. He's put me in a good mood for the weekend. I'm excited. The Miami Dolphins thing is, um, I, <laughs> yes, uh, they, they, I think they've stopped doing it because they're all too old. But um, so why do they do the champagne every year? Because they're they're the only ones with the record. Right. Yeah. The record yeah. is unbroken. Pre Super Bowl champagne. Well, whenever the first, when so most seasons somebody gets to six and zero, seven and zero, eight and zero, and then they start gathering getting ready to I think it's a local TV station who like hey lads we'll throw a party for you and then that becomes a thing yeah but, yeah, um, yeah but I, I think that, I think that's a really interesting and important point to make is that um, if you talk to players immediately after they retire a lot of them are like I didn't really want the team to win that season but then they go through this process of slowly becoming a yeah. fan again and then they're just fans like everybody else that was the thing that sucked them in as a kid they get to that elite level they want to be part of everything that happens. There's a period of like anger and bitterness, the grief curve. Mm. And then it's like, actually, you know what? I'm just a fan again. I really want them to win. Well, like you get that. Like, Kieran Whelan is a perfect example. Like, you don't want the dubs to win the All-Ireland the, the very year after you retire. 
you know, same with Ronan. Ronan said the same on the, on the show before, but a couple of years down the line, when you're a bit more removed, I think you can accept it, maybe. Yeah, I think that's all. That is all totally fine. Uh, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month, so visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. After this short break, Matt Williams. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Matt Williams is with us to continue the rugby conversation. Matt, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Shane. We've just been talking to Ronan O'Gara there about the complete lack of physicality that England showed against France, which when you think about it at home against France and the record they had, it's kind of shocking that they didn't land a punch at any stage, even when they went 7-0 down after a minute and a half, whatever it was, that they weren't able to kind of regroup and regather. They're going to have a week to lick their wounds and to come to Dublin to try and spoil our party. If you're in that England camp, what are you saying to try and make sure that some kind of performance results this weekend? Well, this is an England team that has had systemic problems for a considerable period of time. This isn't like something that's just popped up. Now, their performance last Saturday was uh, the worst I've seen from an England team. I I was actually thinking about this Afterwards, when Clive Woodward took over uh, before the two thousand, before the nineteen ninety nine World Cup, England were at a low ebb. He brought England to Australia, and I went to a Test match there. I think I was still coaching the Waratahs. I think it was about ninety seven. Don't quite me on it. Might be ninety eight, but, but let's say let's say ninety seven. And uh, they were walloped by by the Wallabies at the Olympic Stadium. It was one of the first times the stadium was open, and that's. The lowest I've seen England. Now, Woodward took six years and got them back to win a World Cup six years later. Deserves a lot of credit for that. They're lower. England are lower than than when Woodward took them over. Um, They were abject, but they have been for some time. They've been on the decline for some time. And there there is some – I think the problem for me lies in the assistant coaches that since Scott Wisemantle left as their attack coach, they have deteriorated and they have people there coaching – that are not being effective. You're not seeing the coaching being transferred from the training ground to the pitch. So they might be coaching them well, but it's not transferring. And we, we, there, that is the term we use in, in coaching is the transference from, from, from the pitch to, to the actual performance. Um, I thought they were going to lose and lose poorly, but they were worse than I expected them to be. I think there was huge uh, Ignorance, just the, all the talk and hype about Smith and Farrell, Smith and Farrell, was never about Smith and Farrell. It was about all the systemic problems and England's inability to match opposition forwards. You know, and, and the great example of that is Mauro Otoje, who is, has been a superb athlete for them for many years. And Mauro was just, he, he was anonymous on the field the other day. So, yes, the, the lack of physicality was horrific. Um, do I expect a response? Look, I don't think they can get any worse. I, I really don't think they can get any worse. Now, we've got to say France played a part here. France were quite magnificent. But I don't think they can get any worse. If, if, I was, if that's our team I'm involved with, uh, the senior players say to a coach, coach, go out of the room, it's got nothing to do with you, close the door, and there's a bit of finger pointing going on and a, a serious honesty about what happened in that game. The the The... English back row were just appalling. Like there was the statistics that come up 
about ball carries, offloads, tackles made, contacts, turnovers. You've got the French back row in numbers like 8, 10, 12, 7, 6, and you've got the English back row on duck egg 2, duck egg, duck egg 4. You know, it wasn't like, a, 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 a you know, the French won it on a points decision. This was just so one-sided. It was horrific. And those guys need calling out, and they need to be told, listen, you, you're wearing the national jersey, and even that national jersey with a little red all over it didn't look particularly good. The French even looked better than it. But you're wearing the national jersey. You have to do much better. This is, and this is what I mean systemic. Their attacking system is hopeless. It's just non-existent. I can't tell you what they're doing in attack. I just can't see it. Their defensive system leaked like a sieve. Um, and then their kicking game was appalling. Whatever their kicking strategy was certainly suited France. Then you say, well, what did each individual bring to the game? That the individuals were just awful, and everyone's trying to blame Marcus Smith. And I thought Smith tried his heart out. It's not Marcus Smith's fault that game. So on all these fronts, England England have got battles, and Borthwick is really, you know, he has really got some chaos management on his hands here because it, it is very very bad. So, in in a crisis like that, what do you do? Do you just make sure that the game plan is the most simplified game plan that these players have ever experienced so there's no thought going into it and you try and play at some level of unconsciousness? Yes, you do. And, and this, that's a hard question to answer, Jude, because I don't know what they've been doing at training. Again, they've obviously tried to put some form of attacking system in place and, and a defensive structure in place. But the, the players aren't transferring that. They're not carrying it. So there, there is real issues with the coaching staff on what are you doing. And, you know, if you look at the last French try, which was magnificently executed, but the, 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 which was a set play, line out, down to the back line, beautiful back line set play, magnificent hands across the back line, and they put Venno in the corner. What the England, English defensive back line was doing there we were going, what are they doing? Like, if you're under 12s, did that. Your 13 comes out of line, turns his shoulders towards the ball, ball goes past him. It's a try every time. Now, Gary Ringrose, the way England, uh, Ireland defend, the, the way Leinster defend, the way, you know, I would coach defend. They'd never turn your shoulders in. You would, you would be able to stay alive. So the players are either panicked or they're getting coached badly. So what, what do you do in a day like this? Again, you've got to take personal responsibility. I thought Genj as a leader was poor. All he did was complain all day. And you could see when Farrell came on, he took control. So so first thing is selections were wrong. The coach got his the, – the most powerful tool a coach has is the people he selects to go on the field. And it was obvious that selections were wrong. Is the squad wrong? Uh, well, obviously, you know, they're, they're – they're, um, the number nine, the English number nine was just – He's not international standard, poor young man. I'm not going to – I don't want to embarrass him. He's not international standard. He was slower than a month of Sundays. So Mitchell comes on, the pace picks up. So they've got their nine wrong. They've probably got their back row wrong. They've got their centres wrong. Have they got their out half wrong? They, they, you know, like there's so many issues you could say there. And then you've got your great players like Atoje playing poorly. So you've got to – and then there's leadership. So on a, on a week like this, you know, in the old days used to go out for a beer. Um, because your coach didn't know what else to do. So we'll go out and say, guys, we've got to, this isn't good enough. And sometimes that worked because people people would, and, and I, people joke about that. 
but it made people talk and it made people communicate and be honest. Um, and and that, that team needs some real brutal honesty. But you can also see around the media there's not honesty. It, it, there's excuses and there's finger pointing. That That is destructive. There really needs to be some brutal honesty and some commitment to the jersey and a commitment to perform. Now, I expect – look, it has to be a better, more physical performance than they've put in. It has to be. Because I don't think they can get any worse. That was abject and it was embarrassing and they were humiliated. Now, really good athletes and really proud athletes, they will respond to that, you would think. But can they respond in enough areas? Can they get their scrum right because their scrum was poor? Can they get their defence right? Horrific. Kicking game right. Can they get their selection right? Can they get their attack right? Like there's so many things they have to work on. They just can't do all that in a week. So the, the, the only thing they can hope for is they turn up with a lot more courage, determination and um, physicality, cohesion, aggression would be another word, and pride. Well, that, that's, all those things were lacking. That's the thing, Matt. Like, you say it can't get any worse. Can it get better within, a, within the space of a week? Because like, if, you're, if you're Steve Borthwick, what, what are you saying to, to those English players this week? Like, the carrot on the end of the stick is to be the party poopers, to, to stop Ireland's Grand Slam in Dublin on, on Paddy's weekend. It's, it's set up perfectly, but what are you saying if you're Steve Borthwick in that dressing room this week? Well, you're saying just that. You're giving hope, you're giving leadership, and you, you're um, trying to give direction. But it's very hard. You know, and, you know people forget that uh, rugby players are human beings. And it, it's to recover emotionally from a humiliation uh, is very hard. It, it, it takes time, you know, just as it, it takes time to recover from a phenomenal win to come back to equilibrium. It, it, you know, when you're emotionally humiliated like that in front of the world wearing your national jersey, it takes a long time to come back up to that to that point where you're ready to respond. So it's going to depend on the emotional recovery of the players. That's going to depend. It's a big test of Borthwick's leadership. But again, you know, we go back. Let's go back to November. Let's keep going back before that last year's Six Nations. Now it wasn't as bad as we saw against France, but this has been an England team that has been slowly and inevitably moving. Are declining well, in, in all these systems. That was the you question. Know, remember, they lost to Argentina. So it's not like a, look, they've had a really bad day. This this is something that's been going for a long time. And what did they do? They blamed Eddie Jones. Okay. He's the boss. Oh, so, but, yeah. Sorry, mate. Would this have happened under Eddie Jones? Because I, I was asking Quinny that on Monday, and he was like, well, it's hard to know. Obviously, it's a completely hypothetical situation. There is a chance that France could have blown England out at Twickenham, even if Eddie Jones was the coach. But you suspect that whatever his long-term plan was that that wouldn't have been dismantled? Yeah, look, I've I got to say, I thought Eddie Jones was, was treated appallingly. Uh, I thought he was made a scapegoat and I thought it was a lot of, look, there's a lot of anti-Australian sentiment in, in sporting circles in England. That, look, I, I just know that and I think he was subject to, to a bit of that uh, and and that's because of the the... the huge competitiveness Australia and England have in so many sports, especially cricket. But I, I can tell you that, that that's a factor. Um, and I w- would suggest to you that I've never seen a team coach by Eddie Jones perform like that. Uh, they've lost games, and I don't think England were playing particularly well under Eddie. Again, I'll tell you that the decline, in my opinion, started when Scott Wiseman left and went back to the Wallabies. Um, 
and I don't think Eddie chose his assistant coaches correctly, and I don't think Borthwick has chosen his assistant coaches correctly as well. I think that is a huge issue um, with with the England side that they haven't got experienced long term uh, coaches with long term knowledge of the game, and that that is a, a real I- issue for that team. I don't think they have a philosophy on attack that that Ireland have. And that is an issue, again, a massive, massive issue. It's a mirror. If we consider where Ireland were two years ago, when when um, Andy Farrell first took over, Ireland were very similar. They, if we think about Ireland, not as bad as what England were, they were similar. They didn't know their direction. Their performances were were gone. You know, the, 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 it was awful performances for eighteen months under Farrell. And then he gave them a direction. The direction came from Leinster. He empowered his coaches. They had a philosophy. They followed it. Bang! Instantaneous change. So what philosophy is this England team following? And I can't tell you. Everyone says, oh, it's Leicester. It's not Leicester. And what works at club level does not necessarily work at international level. Not always. Because you've got to also say, do I have the players? Does this, does this philosophy suit my players? Well, that, that, that's the fundamental question. Isn't it? And look, yeah. uh, Tulagi uh, has never lost against Ireland. He's on the back pages of all the papers. I suspect it has been leaked that he's going to start the game Um you know, there's a consensus in the English press this morning about Tuolagi, and so that generally would suggest that someone somewhere has tipped somebody off that this is going to happen this weekend. Ben Youngs is still floating around the squad, so you could have Youngs, Farrell, and Tuolagi, and all of a sudden it's players who have a lot of that experience. And do they just kick the leather off the ball and try and compete at Ireland's line out? Turn it. It's going to be. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be a bit miserable in Dublin. Uh, like it's not a plan. You know, hope is hope is not a strategy, lads. That's the. Yeah. Uh, but they've got. Sorry, do they have anything else at this stage? No. Uh, I, I, look, I thought leaving Tuolagi out was uh, a major error. Uh, he's a very he's a fine player. He gets a game line, and and again we we come. This is this whole thing about Smith. It, 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 let's let's think of Ireland against Italy. Ross Byrne, Sexton's out. Ross Byrne takes the ball to the line. He's got a player on his left. He's got a player behind in the pocket, and that player has players on his left and a player in the pocket. So if we think of of uh, uh, of, of Keenan's try against Italy, was exactly that. So when Ross Byrne goes to the line, there are people in motion around him. There's threats on his inside, his outside, behind him, and then the next player out. So the defence has to mark that. Smith goes to the line. He's got one player with him. He's just get smashed, and so does that player. And then that makes the ruck really slow because there's no one there to, 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 to deliver quick ball. So Tuolagi would give that contact, you know, a lot, would be a lot better. But it's not just Tuolagi. Last week, the, and I've got to say, the English press are delusional at the moment. And, 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 you know, if they're saying, last week, Marcus Smith's the answer. It's delusional. Tuolagi is the answer. It's delusional. That is one player. It is their system's that are just, they're just non-existent. So it doesn't matter who you put steering the Titanic, the Titanic's still going to sink. You've got to change things, and they haven't got time to change things. So what are they going to do? I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's a very limited game plan. There's going to be a lot of kicking, a lot of mauling, a lot of uh, scrummaging, a lot of looking for penalties, and there's going to be a lot of them standing behind their try line watching Johnny Sexton kick conversions because their defensive system has been awful. You know, like, in, in, and what I try and say to everyone, when I talk to you, Jer, or, or, or I'm on TV, I try and back what I'm saying on evidence. So I, I, what do I see? What, what evidence do I have to give an opinion 
um, to give my opinion. So, you know, if he, if I saw some evidence from England, like we saw from Scotland, so why are we saying it was going to be a tough game? Because we saw some good evidence from Scotland, and the first half proved that. What that that's based on performance and evidence. The, the evidence of this English side over a long period of time is that they are they are really without a philosophy. They're without structure. They're without systems, and that is is coming out in the players. The players are not playing with belief. They're not saying, listen, I know what my job is. What's my mission? What's my task? Do my task. Beat the guy in front of me. I'm going to do that. They're just not playing with that. So that, there, there is the evidence that they don't have a clear picture in their head of what their mission is on each Saturday when they run out in an English jersey. So, um, you know, look, and, and look, test match rugby is test match rugby. Anything can happen. Look at, look at the second half at Murrayfield. Look, look at the magnificence of that second half. Everything at halftime said Scotland are going to win. When I saw Josh Vanderfleur pick the ball up, put it behind his head to throw it in, I went, oh, my God, how are we going to win this? We've got a, we've got a flanker throwing the ball in. And they found a way. They, you know, Hannibal, when he took the elephants over the Alps, the general said, don't do it. He said, well, we're going to find a way or make one. And they personified, Ireland personified um, Hannibal. Where They made a way. They didn't find a way. They made a way to get to get through that. And there's a team that believes in what they're doing. There's a team that has unity, that has has this this uh, this idea of we have a mission here. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. So my mission's changed from Josh Vanderfleet. My mission is to throw the ball in the line out. And the young man was sensational. Keen Hurley comes in. My job is to scrummage here as a hooker. I haven't done this since I was a kid, but that's my mission. I'm going to do this. Uh, 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 Porter, my mission is to do 80 minutes. I've got to do the whole game because the team needs me to do the whole game. Like you go through everyone in that team, you could say that. Conan coming on to do that. Peter Omani was immense, absolutely immense. Like you, you, there's, there's, there's no one we could leave out when we talk about the performance of that team under incredible adversity. Mirror that with England. Like, you know, and I, I, I don't want to say so many bad things about players because I know that they can have bad days, but, you know, it, that's what I mean. It's humiliating for that English side when they compare themselves to what Ireland did uh, uh, the following day at Murrayfield. Well, Matt, when you say, like, you know, there are players in that England team that maybe aren't of international standard, like, yeah. and I think you might have referenced the scrum half, maybe Jack Van Portfleet being one of them who didn't have a good game yeah. at the weekend for sure, but... I mean, it's a fairly damning indictment of where England are at. Like, if you have players on the pitch against France at Twickenham in a Six Nations game who aren't of international standard, like, is that on Borthwick? Is that on the RFU? Who, like, who's this? Uh, who's to blame here? The, the the national coach, every national coach, is hostage to the system below them. So Andy Farrell is benefiting from a great system below him in in Ireland. Um, Eddie Jones has gone to Australia and he is hostage to that system. Australia had, I think, I was brought up through it, one of, if not the best system in the world. So we had so few players, but we were winning World Cups. We had a great system that Australia dismantled on itself by very poor leadership. Scotland under 20s, you know, that score was horrific. Why? Because Scotland dismantled their own system 20 years ago, dismantled the structures that produce players. So if you do that, your national team eventually is going to suffer, which Australia are doing, uh, and, and, and Scotland are surviving because they're bringing in people from the diaspora and they're qualifying players through the, the um, residency rule. Now, the English, we saw two clubs fold. In, in, England very rarely uh, 
have a, a good at self-reflection. They, accuse, they either say we're brilliant or they accuse individuals like Eddie Jones and they hang them. They very rarely are self-reflective and say, what is our system doing? England should be winning the Six Nations at under-20s every single year. Ireland should not be doing what they're doing, winning Grand Slams, just for numbers. But the Irish system on talent identification, on developing that talent, on bringing it through, is superior to the English system. Now, they have players that are not an international standard. Why? Because they refuse to admit that their club system could be better. They have far too many foreigners in their system and they've had financial troubles, as we all can obviously see. There are structural problems. What philosophy are they playing? What is the, what is the, what is the, the school system playing? What are they, there's no, there's no, the, 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 the bits of string are all at the table and none of them are joined up. But they don't reflect on that and they hate you telling them. You know, they absolutely, and that's what Eddie was trying to say to them all the time, and they don't like that. So, yeah, the English system is is not going particularly well, and the national team is a reflection of that system. Every national team is. Why are France doing well? Their national system, and I'm talking to you from France, is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal system, and they're doing it exceptionally well. And they, they're, they're even though their top 14 is run by presidents, um, you can see there is a style of play in France that, that many of the clubs are adopting. Certainly the senior clubs like Toulouse, uh, Ronan's club at La Rochelle, even though they, they have a lot of foreign players, but they are playing, the clubs that are at the top are playing magnificent style of rugby, and that's being reflected in the national team. So the English system is producing the English national team. So they're systemic, again, not just, not just the systems of defence and so on, but the systems that produce high-performance players is not functioning at the way it should. And they had a certain number of players on the field there the other day who were not at the races. Now, we have to we have to say that France have a, an incredible generation and uh, Antoine Dupont, I was talking about it only yesterday, I was trying to be honest, you know, he 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 is getting up to being the best nine I've ever seen. I'm, oh, I was trying nice. to think who's better. Georgie Gregan in his pomp um, was 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 absolutely a genius. Marshall, you know, you start thinking, but Dupont does everything. Well, in that chip and chase, on that chip and chase that he did, uh, he chips over with the outside of his right foot, he sprints through, regathers, still at full pace, hits the, that and the next kick in the same movement with his left foot, and the ball stops 10 centimetres from the try line. Comes out over the ruck, goes to the right. The English, All the English defence goes to the right, steps back, kicks off his left, kicks a 50-22. French line out, they score off the line out. Like, the guy can do anything. He is an incredible footballer. And England don't have – no one has anyone like him. But you went through every position on that field. France were better. And Ireland, Ireland, if we go through it, Ireland are better too. And and at a certain point, that becomes – that pressure builds and becomes a tsunami of pressure that teams can't stop. And you just can't see England coping this right. Saturday. Matt, I hope you're dead right. Good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. See you now. Matt Williams giving us some thoughts there at uh, 8.36. Loads of comments coming through. Um, people saying that uh, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. We'll see. We'll see. 87 is the WhatsApp number if you want to send a text or a WhatsApp to that message, uh, that number you can. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We'll get to them in just a couple of minutes' time. Or of course, you can get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter as well. Uh, now, Derek McNamara of React Rugby is with us. Derek, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. good. Another uh, winning week for us. Um, it continues. Yeah, it's uh, an 
irresistible force at the moment. Tell us, um, where are we starting? Are we starting with James Ryan? Um, yeah, I thought like, we were kind of looking at kind of on um, under the under the radar kind of players. Now, not that James Ryan needs to be under the under the radar, but I suppose a lot of love had been going to the the back row and to the front row. So uh, basically, what 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 we've done here is is we've we've kind of looked at you know his contribution to the game. Um, and if, if he had <coughs> just slid in with uh, the final play of the game to wrap uh-huh. up the bonus point try I think I think his, his momentum would have carried him like the, uh, the actual physical momentum there Shane yes, would, have, would have carried him if he'd just gone to ground and slid in and it would have finished like an all black-esque try that would have been one of the all-time great or moments. just recycle for another phase and it's still a brilliant try do you know? Uh, he's not finished it. <laughs> I got the glory come on the game's over We're, we've won I think well, the, you, the distinguishing difference there is that you're talking about the All Blacks and then Ireland. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't think you know front five were supposed to pass, but you know it was uh, it was so so close. It would have been an absolutely amazing. Try. It was sensational. It so was. Anyway, sensational, sorry, stick, stick the stats back up for us here. Yeah. Um, what what does game contribution mean? So basically, when we take everything that happens in the game between the twenty six players that have you know uh, been involved in the game, we then say show who who's the guys that are contributed the most. Um, and then when we look at James Ryan, you know, uh, we've got a system that, 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 you know, highlights these types of, um, you know, situations that aren't the norm. You know, when somebody does more than they're used to or more than the average uh, second rows, then it, it's, it's highlighted to us. But the, the, the difference here is, is that not only did James have the most or contribute the most to the game, his quality was also off the charts. You know, from his rucking, his ball placement, his line eight lifting, his line eight jumping, his line eight defensive jumping, his turnovers four. You know, there's all of these different things that he was involved in. Now, offloads, you only had one of them. Maybe next time. <laughs> you know, yeah. But when we look at the, the 91 contributions that he was involved in the game, the vast, vast majority of them were at the higher level of, of Is that accuracy. a lot? Isn't 91, generally speaking, would that be a lot of contributions in a game? Um, for a second row, kind of, yeah, it'd yeah. be reasonably high. But I suppose in this game, there were so many substitutes, it brings the average of the, 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 the total contribution down a little bit because mm. there's more players involved earlier in the game. But it was just something that jumped out. At, and, you know, when, when we look at the quality and the quantity lines, you know, he was at the top of both of those for the for the pack. Which is which is unusual, and then when we also look at his performance and the the quality of his performance for the last since 2022, he's consistently got slightly better and better and better and better and better, and he's you know it's just it's ex- exactly what you want to see, you know. Um, the the Lions tour to Australia. Who's going to captain the team? Oh. Jester, can we not get this weekend out of the way? No, 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 no. We, <laughs> we, always, we must always be looking at the future. Yeah. Yeah. That way, you never get let but down. He's, by the he's, he's definitely uh, he's definitely up there, isn't he? Is oh, we should we can we can have that conversation later in the yeah, week. Absolutely. Power rank the potential captains for the the yeah. Lions team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when when we take all that information as well, and we take all of the different um, games that James has been involved in and his contribution throughout the entire competition, he has now moved up from second up to first of all second rows. 
uh, and he's number one at carrying, he's number one at tackling, and he's number so this, two. So this graphic at, we have here is for the yeah. entire tournament. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he he's um, well, the game contribution is just from this weekend, right. and then all all back rows. He's number all, one at carrying, and rows, tackling, yeah. and line eights. Yeah. Okay. So that's the the um, specifics of that. Are we more on him, or do you want to move on to Gibson Park? Yeah. No. No. I suppose um, the next thing that we want to kind of look at is. Uh, where, where the game was before Jemison came on and I suppose there's always that question of how much contribution did one individual or you know did did an in- introduction of a specific player um, change the game and when we look at the new slide next slide we can see that um, at the 53rd minute I think it was um, we were 8-7 up and basically for the people that aren't listening or watching the graph is showing kind of the first half and the, and the start of the second half and Ireland's um, trend line of work rate is significantly dropping so basically we're we, and I could tires. see it in the game we could see I could see it in the game as well it was like we need to change a nine um, because we need to speed the ball up speed the game up and basically this 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 line this this graph indicates that you know the trend line was showing that we were significantly dropping but then if we go on to the next slide um, then we can see that um, the, the, the fifth section where just after Jemison comes on there was a massive increase in the workload of the entire team in the fifth section um, to the point where it was you know dramatically it was the highest what are these numbers rate. so basically this is the team's contribution uh, in the first half and the second half so we split our first half into three equal sections based on time and we split the second half so the game was I think 36 minutes of actual time of ball in play so whatever, eight, 18 minutes in the first half, so three equal sections of six minutes each. So in the first six minutes, there was 327 actions, and then in the second tw- six minutes, it dropped to 219. So This then, includes both sides of the ball, so it's not just that we correct. had the ball or we didn't have the ball. That, correct. It's okay. the, the overall contribution of all players in the first half and the second half. How many times they're active doing something that you would measure? Yeah, exactly. So th- this is this is a a reasonably easy way for us to measure work rate, uh, uh, you know, consistently over all teams. Um, but when, when Jemison came on at the 53rd minute, um, we had just had our lowest work rate in a game section. And as soon as he came on, we went from 214 game, or game sections or game activities to 363. So, you know, massive jump in the work rate. So th- this is just where, where we're trying to, you know, and how how do you prevent the so causation and correlation issue? How do you you can't directly attribute that just to him, can you? No, well, um, we can because we can actually see the the speed up of um, the speed up the the amount of time of ball in play as well. So Jemison was able to keep the ball in play for a little bit longer. He was also getting to the breakdown a little bit quicker, and he was also making the passer a little bit quicker compared to when um, Conor Murray came off. So all of those things together, and also you know, the, it was pretty clear to me at the start of the game that they were going out to um, attack uh, Van der Merwe uh, from the start of the game. You know, they were attacking his wing a lot, and then as soon as Jamison came back on or came on, he put that up and under directly towards him, mm. and as a result, the try came of that. So there was it's not just him coming on and, and speeding up the ball; it's him as a leader coming on and, and re. Uh, introducing probably the original game plan that the players that are on the pitch probably slightly forgot about as well. That seems quite incredible to me. Say you're splitting the game as you are there into six periods. Mm. It seems quite incredible that the fifth period of those six 
will be the mo- one, one with the most work rate. I know you have got the impact, as you say, of, of subs like Gibson Park, mm. but that's still quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's a lot to do with the way in which the game is played. But like if 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 you were if I was working with this team, I'd be saying you know we want to. Is there any particular reason why we can't have that at the start of the game? If you're the fittest team, and this this is you know one one many many games with this with different leagues and different mm. levels, which is trying to introduce getting um, all the players to work as hard as you possibly can at the same time. And you know, you know you'll probably find that you'll probably only get three or four guys doing it at the start, but we can measure that and actually identify the players that are doing that. And then the next week you'll get six or seven, and then you know the next third week you'll have everybody, and everybody will buy in, and teams will be blown out of the water. So that that's but that, anyway, that's that's just to go back to that the, the yeah. last the last six minutes uh, time mm. section. No one's doing any work. Basically. Yeah, well, there was a lot of set reset scrums in that. There was a lot of um, time kind of wasted as well. There were you know it was a lot of waiting around. There was a lot of box kicking. There was a lot of. Is that because the game's over in a way and that everybody's managing it? That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And also because Ireland are probably uh, defending a little bit more as well. So. Um, when we look at so that over that that original idea of um it's harder to defend or it's harder to defend than it is to attack you know that age old uh perspective on the game is total rubbish it's totally it doesn't make any sense because if you're in attack and you just want to recycle the ball you have a, usually have a pass you've a carry carry to contact ball placement and then you have maybe three rookers so one two three so in in, before that ball gets recycled, you can have up to seven individual activities involved in that gameplay. But in defence, you can have a tackle, a tackle assist, and maybe a counter rook. Mm. So to organise three people, it's a lot easier to organise than it is to organise seven. And that's why the fittest teams are at the top. That's why the teams that are able to hold onto the ball, and it's it's probably the main reason. And, and the, the laws that have been introduced have have enhanced Ireland's chances as well. But all of these things together have, have have the opposite impact on what's happening to the likes of England, who like kicking the ball away, and you know they're not they don't have that sense of game plan where they build and build and put pressure on their team on, on teams. Does it give a, does it give us an indication as to? And I'm sure the Irish um, management have this idea as well. But when Gibson Park comes on in the 53rd minute, is there a prime moment where they're like, well, we, we could bring him on at half-time, we could bring him on at 65 minutes? There's obviously a peak moment where work rate drops Absolutely, off or other yeah. things drop off. Well, I, I, thought, I, I thought it kind of it said it all with um, after the match um, when um, the coaching staff were, you know, they were absolutely elated. I think in reality, it wasn't just the fact that the team had played well. I think the coaching staff had amazing uh, masterclass as well. Yeah, right but decisions I, at the right time. Yeah, because like uh, I watch a lot of rugby, so I could see it. I could see that the the team had come a little bit flat. And there's certain instances when when you want your team to to kind of flick the switch, and and that's when you introduce different players. So I think Farrell, when he was after the match, giving his press conference, and he was so happy. I don't think he was just so happy that the players had you know, imp- implemented the game plan as the way they did, but I also think it was the fact that their coaching staff did such a great job and didn't make any mistakes and made the, the changes when they were supposed to. And you know, was it was it France last year or I can't remember was it this year or last year where they um, they got an injury and then they took off? I oh, know it was New Zealand in the summer, wasn't it? When they took off Ari Sevilla. And they had to get in. 
they they lost Servia for the rest of the game because they made the wrong mm. changes. Yeah. So th- these sort of things, they're 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 highly pressured, highly, you know, major situations where you got to think and make these decisions very very quickly. And you know, the last slide that we show is um, is is then the, not just the work rate, but the quality of the work rate. So the the, the grades, the, the the accuracy of the passes, the accuracy of the breakdowns. When we we look at the the, the next slide, then. The last slide, we can then do a comparison between uh, Ireland and Scotland. So Ireland, obviously, the green line, Scotland, the blue line. Um, and in the fifth section, then, you know, the, and the lines are crossing quite a bit in between sections one and four, which indicates your... your Close match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 8-7. You know, it's, it's perfectly poised. But then we bring in the player and, the, and a leader who's able to, you know, Give small details to the the pack. Give small details to the the the, the backs, and then they're you know, and the fitness then kicks in, and then Scotland's fitness drops off, and Ireland's game plan becomes more and more apparent, and then you know, Scotland crack, and Ireland come away with a famous victory. Yeah, um, it, and it did look like uh, cracking as well. It was the the pressure built and built and built. So uh, it sounds like you're pretty confident about Ireland at the weekend. I am, but do you know what, Jerry? Do you know what? I, do you know what I was thinking there last night was this Grand Slam in '09. Was it '09? Mm. We had the the oh, I pulled them up here. What was the name of the player who Paddy Wallace in the 80th minute counter rooked in the side and gave away the penalty and the drama that 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 ensued on that. And then there's the uh, Le Drop. You know, in 2018, which I think was the first game of the, yeah. the, the competition where... It was early on. Like we, <clears> we were playing really, really poorly. We handled our business against England at Twickenham in the last day, though. Yeah, yeah. no, but my, my question is, is are, are we in for another one of those don't, types of... No, no, don't say it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think my heart can take that. I, I don't think, think it's Van screwing up uh, when, at the end of the first half, uh, O'Gara mentioned it earlier on. I think that's the, that was the moment. You think? I, I, yeah, like, okay. unless, there's, unless there's a sending off... Mm. You know, unless there's a, a front row sending off, and we have to go through that situation where we're what? down to thirteen men. Even well, then, we haven't got a card yet. Even, even then, I know that's why, that's like that's it, it would be a, a black swan event. Yeah, that would prevent <clears> us from winning this game this weekend. But man, Tulagi, the ghost of Tulagi haunts Irish rugby. So, but I, I also think though that England are going to be wounded, and a wounded England is, and if, you know, those players are going to be a little bit. You know, a little bit worn up, pissed off, really. <laughs> we, shall, we shall see. So, yeah, it's going to be a good game. Yeah. I look forward to it. All right, good stuff. That's uh, Derek McNamara of reactrugby.com with his analysis of the game uh, last weekend. And obviously, we'll talk to him again next week in the aftermath of a Grand Slam, we hope. Uh, right. Uh, Cheltenham starts today. It is time for us to head over there and talk to John Duggan for the first time this morning. And they're off. Mark your card on Off the Ball. With Boyle Sports, make this Cheltenham epic. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. John Duggan, good morning to you. How are you? Great, Jer and Shane, yourselves. It's a woolly hat for you this morning. A bit miserable, is it? <laughs> I'm upgrading my life later on this afternoon. The Peaky Blinders hat will be purchased and we'll have a free tomorrow morning on the head. And then I'm, I'm sure quite my personality will change and everything. Well, it might be too cold for the Peaky Blinders hat, is it? Nah, nah. Well, nah. you know, I'm, I'm a hardy... A hardy soul yeah. and uh, early mornings are no issue for me but 
Look, it's it's actually not that bad this morning. It was pretty grim yesterday. A lot of rain and a lot of wind, but it's it's calmed down now. There was a bit of drizzle when I watched the race course earlier on, but it's going to be a dry day and soft ground, but the dr- ground dries out quickly here. So, look, you do want soft ground horses on your side, but we'll just have to see if there's more rain this week. But, look, what they always say about a good horse, a good horse can go on any ground. So... If your horse is good enough, it should win today. Okay, two big storylines today, uh, Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill. Let's talk about Honeysuckle first. I, th- I think people don't expect Honeysuckle to win today. Well, the market now is saying that she might. Right. So she's been backed heavily this morning into five to two favourites, whether that's emotional money, given it's her last race, with Rachel Blackmore, the people's favourite in the saddle, and Henry de Bromhead training, and that she's a mare. Or maybe it's just the fact that Maybe her runs this season when she's lost for the first time haven't been as bad as we thought. Like it was a seasonal reappearance in the Ferry House, uh, Hatton's Grace Hurdle, when she was third on bad ground. And then she was second behind State Man, who's an improving horse in the Irish Champion Hurdle. So maybe those runs aren't as bad as, as we, we thought. Like she did win this race three years ago, and then she regressed up the ranks to win two Champion Hurdles. So she's won three times at the festival. We know she loves the hill. Um, and maybe people are just kind of going back to her now and thinking that she's the class horse in the race. The one she's got to beat, I feel, Jar, is Marie's Rock, who won this race last year. Nikki Henderson trains. This horse then beat the males in the Rail Keel Hurdle at Cheltenham last time. Loves the hill, loves the gallop up that hill, and she won a Punchestown last year, beat Everton. And I think it's between the two of them, to be honest. But then again, it's a very deep race. You've got Brandy Love, Echoes in Rain, Everton, as I said, Honeysuckle, Lovenvois, Queensbrook. She wears it well. It's a competitive race. But look, Honeysuckle, if she turns to any kind of semblance of her best, she's got a big chance here. Uh, Frequently, the the glory of Cheltenham is frequently the uh, much-hyped anticipation of one horse versus another actually comes to pass and they are going neck and neck up the hill. But almost, almost as frequently... A randomer comes in the pack, smashes everybody, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, now looking back, the forum suggested that was always going to be the case. And this, this horse is actually an all-timer, too. You can always make an argument, can't you, for anything. <laughs> so Plutar last year um, won the champion uh, race for Steeplechasers in the Gold Cup by 15 lengths. You know, oh, well, you know, Rachel Blackmore rode it differently this time. And, you know, it was a bit more patient ride. And that's the reason all that happened. And... The champion chase and Urgeman well. And Urgeman, they used different tactics at Ascot against Shishkin and they held him back this time and Shishkin didn't run any race and then Urgeman then was able to come clear. So, look, there's always, it's very rare that you find, unlike 1990, when Norton's coin won the Gold Cup at 100 to 1, where you think to yourself, wow, I really have no idea how that happens. Uh, generally, sometimes there's always somebody out there who's got a fiver on something and has said, yeah, well, there's something I saw or... Somebody had a word with me or saw something about 10, run, 10 runs ago that gave me a, an opinion that this might happen today. And that's why I always try to look for outsiders if I can uh, at Cheltenham because all it takes is one or two outsiders to make your week. Is there a reason, John, we're only, we, we were only talking about Honeysuckle and Epitant and that Maris Hurdle? You mentioned Maurice Rock, but the, the 48-hour declarations, Maurice Rock was, was, I guess, expected to go in the stairs hurdle, but Nicky Henderson has opted for, for this one instead. Is that, is that maybe why Maurice Rock kind of went under the radar? Yes, possibly. Um, but yesterday, she was all the rage in the market. So mm. there was a huge amount of money for her yesterday when they saw that change. And it's all about the ground. They feel that on this ground, well, softer ground, that let's not try and test her stamina. Let's go for what, for what we know. A winner is a winner. And she sets the standards. Uh, I think she's got improvement in her. She's got a gutsy attitude. I think attitude is a huge thing with horses. And sometimes if you watch races, you really see a horse respond to urgings, to pressure, 
and to really show a good attitude. And I think that's something visually you can actually see. Whereas other horses, they might wander around, they might hit a fence, they might down tools. Uh, other horses might sometimes throw the spit the dummy out, as it were. But Marie's Mock's Rock is not one of those. And I think she's got a, definitely a huge chance of winning that mare's hurdle today at 10 past four. Um, in the paper today, Patrick Mullins is talking about the roar at half one when uh, the Supreme Novices starts at Cheltenham and how it's one of those things that everybody should experience once in their life. If you haven't experienced it, why not? Was basically his point um, pre-show. Shane was talking about the great sports roars. You've, you've experienced many of them, John. Uh, Lucky enough, yeah. What's this one like? It puts a kind of a shiver down your spine and uh, a nerve, a kind of a butterflies in your stomach, I feel. Um that's that's the way I would describe it. It's, it's kind of a, ner- a nervousness that you wouldn't normally get. It it it, it almost is like a, a lightning bolt. Not that I've had one, but uh, you ju- you just really feel a ooh shiver uh, and and a, and a sense of something really really big, a sense of something really really grand. And then again, when you see a horse at the top of the hill, and like they've got big screens here, I, I'm I'm just uh, near the winning post here, and you see big screens, and it's obviously hard to see some of the action down the back of the race course but then you see them come at the top of the hill and then the roar that goes up say in a gold cup or a champion chase or champion hurdle when a contender especially is or there's like two of them fighting down at the top of the hill and then they come down the hill it's a strange thing here that you've actually got two courses side by side an old course which is the one on the inside and then the new course which is beside it so the old course is used on tuesday and wednesday the new course on thursday and friday and the new course has got a longer longer finish so in the gold cup on friday for example you know, you might jump in the lead at the last, but there's a long finishing run, and the hill doesn't look as uh, imposing on the TV as it is here in person. It's a steep, like even to walk it, it's pretty steep. So there's one horse that'll always relish it, but other horses don't sometimes, and they can get chinned and collared. But yeah, in terms of the the feeling, it like really, Jer and Chain, there's there's no space here. It, it, like I'm lucky enough to be sometimes in the press area, like. Beside me, there is literally everybody is squeezed in really, really tight. And it is just this electricity through the veins of the feeling that, whoa, it's like a national anthem uh, after a national anthem is played for the All-Ireland Final or those few moments before a final whistle goes at an All-Ireland Final or when the Republic of Ireland score. These are all kind of different ways we uh, emote. And the way at half one today, people will be emotional, will be just a huge amount of, um, they'll be almost um, expelling the last six months of anti-post bets and hope and now feeling the degree of nerves that this is what it's all about. People want to get off to a fairly decent start, John, in that Supreme Novices hurdle. Um, Fasil Vega won the champion bumper last year, going in this, favourite, I think, last time I checked this morning. Um do you expect it to be challenged? Because it's quite an open race. It's it's not an easy one to call. Well, if Fasal Vega ran to the level he did last year, Shane, he wins. But in that bumper last year, and he's the two to one favourite as a, as a look at the, the screen here. He like he he had a hard race on really really bad ground. It was like a, it was one of the worst uh, weather conditions I experienced here last year on the Wednesday. So I wonder if that race left a mark on Fasal Vega. And to me, he has not been impressive. Not only did he go out like a light at Leopardstown last time, his jumping doesn't really encourage me as a jumper. So when you're looking at the likes of High Definition, uh, Ilete Thompson, who beat him the last day, uh, the horse Marine National, who's never been beaten for Barry Connell, who can't see him being beaten, 
Tom Morris for Paul Nichols. I think this is an open race. It's not a race to get involved in if you're going to have a euro each way. So Fasal Vega, if he bounces back in his confidence within William Mullins' yard, and the fact that Paul Tennant rides is a, something in his favour, but um, I don't think he's a natural hurdle horse, and I couldn't back him a confidence at two to one. Might have egg in my face by saying that, but it's a race just to watch and, and to enjoy and not to not to get involved in my view. Yeah, even even shorter at some places uh, as the morning has gone on here as well. Uh, Constitution Hill, let's talk, talk to us a little bit about, um, is Constitution Hill one of those horses that we should just all enjoy and watch yes. and stay away from? Yes, uh, like if if he if he goes into the sky and starts flying off uh, like a plane, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, metaphorically, because he's never lost a race by, or, or, like he's never won a race by less than twelve lengths. So Barry Garrity, it's an interesting story about Barry Garrity. He bought this horse as a six-month-old foal, um, spotted something in him, and then sold him, and he got a close relationship with the Nicky Henderson yard. Michael Buckley bought him. So Barry Garrity's got a huge association with the horse, and. What Barry Garcia said about this horse, that he just, you know, most horses maybe might quicken once, but this horse keeps on quickening, 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 quickening. And if you look at the replay of the match with John Bonnaster in the Supreme Officer's Hurdle, around the bend, he just went, whoosh, and it was it. It was the race was over. So he's won all of his races without even being tested. The interesting thing is that State Man, the David to the Goliath, has done nothing wrong all the season, been very professional, lowered honeysuckles colors to the extent where honeysuckles now running in the Mares race today. Has won at the festival, but did win in the handicap race, so will need to improve. But I'd love to see Stateman put Constitution Hill under pressure. How will Paul Townend tactically ride in the race? Will he go out in front um, and maybe become a sitting duck? Or will he try and just stick with Constitution Hill? So it's an absolutely fascinating race. It's one to enjoy, as you say. I don't think anything else in the race is even going to get close to them. Um, but there's a really interesting quirk about this. And if you're a stats person... The last horse to win the Supreme Novices Hurdle and the following up the following year by the champion hurdle was in 1971. All right. Which is Beulah. Which is Beulah. So 52 years of stats, the Constitution Hill is trying to beat today. But he's odds on to do so. And I hope he wins. Three to one on as short as um, very, very short price. So don't be, don't be getting involved in that. Yeah. What are you looking no, at today, don't. Shane? Yeah, I, like, I just feel sorry for Paul Townend and State Man because probably the most unlucky horse to come along at a time uh, at the same time as a horse like Constitution Hill that, that, that was one I was looking at John that, that race but it, it's probably as you say one to avoid you mentioned yesterday like the the horses that go well on soft being the ones to, to watch today are there any particular standouts any long shots anything we can keep an eye on um, well I'm going to go through it here so are these your charity Mar- bets is it time for us to ask yeah, 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 yeah I think that's that probably the best way of getting into it so with our sponsor Ball Sports this is what I'm going to do Going to be hopefully singing lads at half five with Manella Crooner as my uh, nap each way at seven to one. Uh, 40 each way on him. I've got 200 to spend. Barry O'Neill, the Wexford jockey, the best point-to-point jockey in Ireland with Jamie Codd, uh, rides this. And he's never had a Cheltenham winner. And he's been very unlucky a few times. He's got off another horse to ride this. Manella Crooner was a very good novice hurdle horse last season. and Didn't run at the festival, but has been running well in races under a shorter distance. This is a three-mile six for a long race. He's got to be Guy de Manil, the Willie Mullins trained even money favourite. But I think Manella Crooner can give you a run each way if your money at 7-1 to one under Barry O'Neill. He's a good jumper. I think he'll stay. I think Gordelius is sweet on him. And I think that Manella Crooner is definitely one to watch in the 5.30. Um, in the Arkle Chase, saint Roi for Willie Mullins with Mark Walsh riding for the colours of J.B. McManus is about 15-2. to two. I put 20 each way of the charity money on him. This is a really interesting horse because he was fourth in the champion hurdle. He's won at the festival before. He's a hold-up horse, and I think the Oracle Chase will be an absolute cavalry charge 
the Dice Dynamo is going to go off like the Clappers. He'll have El Fabiolo and John Bon in there as well. And maybe San Juan, if he's jumping is good enough, he might be able to pick them off and get into other places or maybe even better than that. Uh, Monbeg Genius in the 250. I've gone for a huge amount of money for him. John Joe Neal Senior trains and John Joe Neal Junior rides. I put 15 each way on him at 13 to 2. He's won his last few races. I think he's a progressive horse. He's got a decent enough weight in the soft ground off 10 stone 13. Um, Marie's Rock, I think, will win. And Jazzy Matty was one I just felt might have a little bit of an each-way squeak at 16-1 to 1 in the Boodles handicap hurdle at 4.50. Um, 10 each-way on him. Gordon Elliott trains. He's won the race three times. He's got Michael O'Sullivan taking three pounds off. The horse is a half-brother to Delta work. And I feel that he might might be of all the outsiders that picked uh, the one to put in there. But Manella Crooner, folks, I'll be singing. don't know what I'm going to sing, but I'll be singing if that one wins. In terms of the soft ground horses, Love Envoie, um, Love Soft Ground, um, in the pocket in the first race like soft ground but as I said at the very start of the conversation if your horse is good enough you should win on what, any types of ground as fast as Vega did last year Alright John opening day Cheltenham the butterflies in the stomach the electricity in the air this is your season buddy enjoy Thanks Jared Thanks Shane Enjoy we'll John tomorrow. And they're off Mark your card on Off The Ball with Boyle Sports, make this Cheltenham epic. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. Yeah, you can get the Market Card podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You've been to Cheltenham, have you? No. No? It's on the bucket list for myself as well. It's definitely one of those, you got you you have to take it off. Especially day one, Like you, you want to be there for, the, for that roar. I want to experience that in person. Get those chills that John talks about. And would you rather be there for the opening day, or would you rather be there for the Gold oh, Cup at the end? That's a fair point. Well, I suppose if you're going, you're probably going for the four days, aren't you? Most people, I'd imagine, would go over for the for the duration. So, yeah, and I'd say it's not easy to get the accommodation and the flights uh, sorted. I'm sure it's quite expensive at this time of year. But uh, I think you can make it in that in a day if you if you plan it properly. Right, just get it done, see it, experience it, soak it up. Um, yeah, hopefully the weather isn't too bad for people over there. But I'm sure they, they won't they won't care regardless. Uh, no, it doesn't look like the weather's going to be great. A reminder, OTBIM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, here's what's coming up on the OTB Podcast Network. You can get Mark Your Card, as I said. The latest Koi Gig Pod is available for download now. And the Hurling Pod, a brand new episode. We're going to talk to Will in just a minute. Make sure you follow us across all our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network on the OTB Sports app after this short break. The Hurling Pod's Willow Callahan's updated power rankings. First, a bit of Gordon Darcy goodness speaking with Joe Malloy last night about the Scotland win. Um, and I think a player, you know, if you mentioned you've name-checked him already, a guy who was really, really good in this um, in this match was Peter Romani. And I actually spent the first 20 minutes watching Peter Romani and I was kind of looking at him going, because he, he, and probably I'd be guilty of it as well. You, you don't give him necessarily the praise that he gets because you kind of go, well, what does he do? Because you really have to look for what he does. Everything, even from a line out lift that he gets the extra, extra inch for uh, James Ryan to win a ball to just being a pain in the arse at Rooks to being that glue between two defenders that doesn't necessarily make a tackle, but he defends space. He was phenomenal. Um, in in that game and in that passage when Scotland were in there, he was everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think Ireland just earned. They frustrated Scotland in that period, and then that's what I mean by say Scotland bashing themselves against Ireland, like almost that you know tie against the rocks kind of thing. And Ireland only creaked once. Um, and then when they had to, when Ireland went again, Scotland didn't have an answer. 
And after that Hugh Jones try, as I mentioned, Rudd, uh, they come again, they're on top. It's a man, he does get that boot to a ball. One of those small things that in real time you don't think to yourself, that's hugely significant. But when you're watching the game back this afternoon and you know the flow of the game, you're like, well, that that intervention turned the tide, chased after it, Ireland get on the ball, Hansen scores that try three minutes later and suddenly it's 8-7 after Scottish dominance. You're listening to OTB AM. The Koi Gig Pod. I wouldn't even look at them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even prepare to play against them because you do not what you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> we could beat them six nil, or we could lose six nil. Preseason, I haven't been broken by it yet. So ask away, Shamrock Rovers. Even though they're new club, um, based on preseason, you'd be looking at them. Keep up to date with all the WSL action every Tuesday, and subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. The Heineken Champions Cup is back. Leinster take on Ulster in the round of 16. Saturday, April 1st at 5.30 in the Aviva Stadium. Join the Sea of Blue for this massive inter-provincial clash. Tickets on sale now at leinsterrugby.ie. Terms and conditions apply. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Larry Berg, good morning to you. <laughs> morning, lads. How are you getting on? How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm just after seeing a piece of breaking news come out from Morris Brosnan in the Irish Examiner and probably more bad news for the Ladies Football Championship this summer and talk about the AFLW. So there's six days that clubs have got time to sign international players before the window closes. And Neve McLaughlin, the current player of the year, the Donegal star, looks like she's about to sign for the Gold Coast Sun. So she's heading to Queensland. Would have previously played in the Women's Super League with Newcastle and Sunderland. So uh, no great surprise that she's looking at playing in a multi-code of sports but pretty talented uh, these annoying people who's good at everything yeah. yeah Uh, but a, a huge blow for Donegal going into the summer and also to lose the current player of the year so you have Vicky Wall who's already in North Melbourne who was the player of the year the year before but it's understood that she will be back uh, to play for Mead later on in the summer and the other one that's being reported currently uh, by Morris is the possibility of Leash's best player from the All-Ireland Intermediate Championship last year Aaron Fitzpatrick uh, who is being scouted by quite a few clubs it seems but Morris is reporting uh, that Carlton want to get her signing done uh, before the end of the trade block on March the 20th so six days left uh, for Aaron Fitzpatrick to make a decision. But she was nominated for uh, Player of the Year in the All-Ireland Intermediate Championship last year. So it looks like two of the stars of last summer are on their way to Australia for the coming season. It's not great, is it? I mean, if the Ballon d'Or winner two years in a row went off and started playing cricket or something, you'd be like, well, what's going on here? I disagree. I think it's amazing for them. It's a, oh, it's a great opportunity for them, yeah, personally. And I, think, I actually think it's great for sport generally to have this. Like, They're all going to come back at some point and they're going to come back with mm-hmm. like a completely different sense of culture and professionalism and I like I don't think it's a bad thing I think that we get very precious about oh these GA players imagine them going off to Australia and having a good time and seeing the world do that and they think they are this is terrible for us I'm it, like no it's bad for the game selfishly well, like whatever. for, for but the, sure, the game will improve like the game isn't that fragile that it can't take a few people going off and having a bit of crack is it? No, and like I think it's like football survive a couple of years of Jack 
McCaffrey like being a doctor. Yeah, but, it's, 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 what's the difference? There, though, what's what's the difference? Well, Jack McCaffrey not being there is the difference. But like, and so I don't know. I think we get very precious about this. Same way we get precious about anybody calling us a bunch of drunks and then Matt Hansen saying <laughs> we are we are a bunch of drunks. Paddy Wackery, yeah. Do you know? That's my instinct on this: is go off and have the crack and come back and tell us all about it and we'll all pay a bit more attention now to this than we would have in the first place that's my my instinct by the way about the Saturday Night Live sketch was not to get offended by it but it was just shit that, well, look, yeah it was a bad sketch I think I think, I think everybody can agree with that <laughs> right your power rankings have so far proven to be uncontroversial is that fair largely well, like, well one round in it's very difficult to be controversial like you, unless you decide to do something totally crazy and go you know what actually I've, I haven't been that impressed by Limerick so far let's put them down in 17 so unless you're <laughs> you know going for a hot take on this I think you'll be okay in round one round two is when people start going you know we have four rounds now at this stage and even if teams are doing heavy blocks of training and even if teams are maybe putting out you know second string sides and trying players out currently we've got enough evidence maybe to now kind of look towards the championship and say alright I think we've a fair idea where they settle but as you see when we get into I think particularly from teams 7 to about 3 it looks at this stage even very early on almost impossible to call who is coming out of the Munster Championship alongside Limerick at this stage Yeah it is and that's why it's going to be really great I think the injuries that Waterford have been having Mm. look maybe all those players will miraculously heal in the meantime you know this isn't this isn't the NFL where there are repercussions if your injuries heal or take longer than uh, is officially communicated. So let, let's get into this, right? We're starting. Yeah. Derry at 18, Down at 17, Carlo at 16, Kerry at 15, Kildare at 14, finally, and Offaly at 13. But we're coming for Offaly. That's the yeah, well, look, Kildare could reverse that for the next uh, set of the power rankings because Kildare are already guaranteed at this stage, Jarrah, of at least a home semi-final. They're top of the table currently. So if they were to beat Offaly away from home uh, this Sunday, that would mean that Kildare would go directly to the final in Division 2A. If they lose, they know they'll play a Kerry team who they've already beaten at home in a semi-final, most likely. So there's not a huge amount on the line on Sunday, except for the fact that whoever wins that game between Offaly and Kildare will be guaranteed an extra week's rest before the Division 2A final. And unlike Division 1, where teams have been mixing and matching their sides a little bit, you have no option in 2A but to go for every single game because promotion's on the line and only one team is going to be promoted at the end of this. So Kildare, very impressive. Huge win for them against Kerry at the weekend. Unbeaten so far, top of the table currently on scoring difference and if it's not this season I get the feeling that Kerry or that Kildare will go up over the next couple of years anyway and no no moment, it's, it's now be, it's now Will our time is now well to go from the Christie Ring Championship a championship to go into Division 1 the Hurling League would be remarkable with the upper trend that Kildare are on currently and this is a huge opportunity for them I think for Hurling as much as I want to see selfishly from a bias point of view awfully get promoted this season it'd be big for Hurling to have another team at the top table in Division 1 if Kildare were to get promoted over the next little while Kerry obviously would be disappointed they're the fallers at the moment down to 15 they've suffered back-to-back defeats against their promotion rivals in Offaly and Kildare either side of the break but Kerry still have the opportunity if they win on Sunday where they could finish up in third place it just looks like it's going to be a longer route for the Kingdom uh, to get into the Division 2A final but they won't want to miss out two years in their own promotion it would be very disappointing for them if they don't get to at least the final in Division 2A There's not much between these teams mm. at, at that level but I, like the job that David Herdy is doing is, is astonishing and it would be really important for Kildare to keep him for the uh, medium term um, but I can imagine that other bigger counties more established counties 
at the top tier are going this guy's really good isn't he <laughs> cool. yeah, it, it helps that he talks a good game as well like any time that we have him on the show I think Herity always has insights that you probably don't think about and the way he probably thinks about it from a different perspective as uh, many of the pundits who are out there right now because he's really good at kind of seeing things as a goalkeeper maybe throughout his career they've got a, a very wide view of what's happening on the pitch and I always think Herity is a good listen which helps as well on top of what's been backed up on the pitch with what Kildare have been doing I mean it's been very well documented Nace winning the All-Ireland Intermediate Club uh, the year before last and getting a win in the Senior Championship against Shinron in the season just gone by those players are backboning backboning the Kildare team right now some very good young players and good young dual players who are coming through in Kildare in the school system currently so there is that feeling that there's a conveyor belt of talent and that this isn't just one group of Kildare hurlers right now who maybe are on the precipice of doing something remarkable I think there's the feeling that Kildare are a coming force in hurling right now and it's helped I mean it's been well documented the fact that their clubs have gone and played in the Kilkenny league system at underage level and that's helped to sharpen things a little bit as well and maybe we'll be talking about Kildare as a model for some other counties who are trying to develop because they are bringing themselves up dual the, county. the hurling totem pole right now Kildare are a dual county now is that what we're saying? Well, are we going with that? You're saying. Not, could, you, could you imagine a situation Shane if the Kildare footballers were to end up in Division 3 albeit I think they are still going to stay up in Division 2 and their hurlers were to be in Division 1 at that point do we start talking <laughs> about Kildare being a hurling county by the time Actually, that fair, uh, fair Connors point. Park is ready to reopen again yeah you'd be the, the difficulty with that is that there'd be a backlash the burn the sticks thing would uh, travel from Meath down to Kildare and, um, and another civil war would happen in Kildare GA so uh, I think it's you know I, I do honestly think that the job that Herity's done is sensational it kind of it, it crept up imperceptibly that it had been five years that he's been plugging away there and you know um, so fair play to him but it was interesting that they were name checked by Don Logue in the middle of his um bit at the weekend about the new president and like should there be an injection of cash to some of these counties specifically aimed at nourishing hurling I think there should be in Antrim I mean they should be able to get their own house in order because it's such a big county and there's massive population and there's loads of money floating around and it's the same Kildare but actually if you need to license 10 or 15 coaches to go in for a generation and go we want you to be first tier because Bigger audiences, more people, more counties, spread the love. I, I don't know. And then, and then you have, what about me? What about mine? I've been there for years. I'm the prodigal son. You're killing the... F-. So, like, you know, you open a can of worms. Mm-hmm. Let's move on before I get any more into that. The next one. Leash at 12. Westmead yeah, 11. Antrim 10. Wexford are on 9. Dublin up 1 on 8. Waterford down 1 on 7. Yeah, so Leash dropped to 12th on the back of losing the most important game of their season on the Sunday just gone by where they played against Antrim in what was effectively a relegation playoff semi-final. Uh, Conal Cunning scored 110 for Antrim. They moved the ball around really well. Uh, they're guaranteed of Division 1 status now for the 2024 season after beating Leash by a couple of goals, 318 to 118. I've put Westmead in 11th because Westmead, to their credit, had a lot of injuries this year. Didn't have their captain, Killian Doyle, who was their main player against Limerick at the weekend. They beat Cork in the second half half of their game just before the break and they drew the second half against Limerick on the weekend just gone by. No Niall Mitchell currently either so they've got injuries a bit like uh, Waterford that they need to try and get healed up ahead of the championship where they're going to have a lot of tough games uh, but Westmead have acquitted themselves reasonably well in a very very difficult Division 1A and I kind of fancy Westmead to win the playoff against Leash in two weeks time. Antrim go up a place to 10th on the back of beating Leash and being safe and now knowing they can go into the Leinster Championship knowing they'll be playing top flight hurling. 
Wexford, I was uh, listening to Sarah Donovan chatting to you guys yesterday, and like Lee Chin made such a difference to that Wexford team at the weekend against Cork, albeit Cork did switch their side around a little bit. And Cork trailed in that game for 69 minutes to Wexford. Wexford would be so disappointed that they didn't get two points on the board at Porky Cueve. And then you look at the injuries they've picked up. It's been a costly defeat as well, where Conor McDonald, Damien Reck, Limo McGovern, Matthew O'Hanlon went off. O'Hanlon had deputised really well in at the full-back position with Liam Ryan currently out with a hand injury as well. And then you saw Dio O'Keefe was just limping around for the last 10 minutes or so, trying to just be a player that could stand in at full forward. That's a lot of key players, and they haven't had Rory O'Connor during the season either. It was a good response, given that they conceded 6.25 against Clare in the previous game in the home ground at Wexford Park to go to Porky Cueve and to perform as well as they did. But I wonder if some of these injuries are now aggravations, how much that might affect them in the Leinster Championship. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Currently, you're kind of thinking Dublin might just finish ahead of them in Leinster. Well, uh, Sarah, maybe doubt myself about that. That maybe me O'Donnell's plan isn't a one-year thing. It's not an immediate bounce. It's a put structures in place, build slowly, as opposed to try and have some kind of um, great escape. And actually, if those players again, we'll have to wait and see what the team sheet is like, and then we'll have to see if they make it through the first 30 minutes and they're not just taking a risk on them so okay that's that page anything else on that page you want to talk to us about uh, I think Dublin again it's just their dependency on Donald Burke like he has been the man to watch because of spectacular points he's been putting over in the league so far again he scored 11 points against Kilkenny were you not worried Dublin were really limp yeah were you not worried about the fact the, that Kilkenny just essentially handled them like they traditionally do they always thanks very much do. for the game but actually this is not important to us yeah, last three games they played against Kilkenny, Kilkenny bullied them off the pitch. And at the weekend, one thing to know for Kilkenny, didn't hit a single wide in the first half, which is very impressive. It's a very different efficiency to what we've seen from Dublin, who seem to shoot from everywhere during the National Earning League so far. I think their forward line is a little bit short right now. That's the problem further down the line for Dublin. Scale on the pod last night was quick to point out that Miguel O'Donoghue's first year with Galway, he ran the S out of them in pre-season and they were doing a lot of heavy training during the league, which he felt actually was a big part of their lack of performances in the league that year but in championship they managed to get their performances and right so maybe it, Dublin are in a very heavy block of training at the moment Well more importantly did uh, Skell's Maz insistence that he not curse mean that he said they ran the S out of us or did he actually No well like considering on the bonus episode last week uh, Skell said horseshit four different times when he was responding to a listener comment <laughs> uh, meant that he did not learn his lesson I think during the first half of the pod he was reasonably well behaved and then next thing I think I may well have enabled them because there were a few comments that came in going just let's get elsewhere it's a podcast let them loose and next thing horseshit came out multiple times uh, when someone suggested that the Munster final was important to Limerick last year and then I think Scale back down and apologised to the same listener this week okay. so amazing he's learning he's learning the way the, uh, the league champions last year Waterford down in uh, was it seven you had them well, like yeah, they had the place. shipping Few goals returns. for fun and Austin Gleeson injured now as well so which, which isn't great for them yeah, I mean, a few concerns. The game at the weekend, Tipperary against Waterford at Thurles, was the best game we've seen in the league so far. Mm. There was a real kind of needle and intensity about that game. And it only really ran away from Waterford after Jamie Barron was sent off. Now, that's an issue in itself. Waterford are picking up red cards throughout the league. Okay. Uh, it's been hurting their performances and making games more difficult for them. And then they conceded 3-8 to 6 points in the last 15 minutes of the game. And that's a concern for Waterford. But the game was a bit closer maybe than the final scoreline would suggest. Problems would be... I don't know about Desi Hutchinson in this withdrawn role. For me, Desi Hutchinson, play him a corner forward. Let him be a player going off the shoulder of the last defender. Let his runs drag around the full back line. I don't know if he's as effective coming out the field. And then Stephen Bennett, who this time last year was in everybody's fancy hurling team because of the scoring that he was doing on Waterford's run to winning the league. He hasn't scored from play so far in the league. 
And that's a big concern. His free-taking is still quite good. And then Ozzy Gleeson comes in to start at the weekend, and then he picks up a hamstring injury, which has put him out for four weeks. Jared's already mentioned their lengthy injury list. To have Conor Prunty and Austin Gleeson out for probably the start of the Munster Championship is far from ideal. So you just kind of wonder, there's a combination of things there, both the injuries yeah. and also the system has meant it hasn't quite clicked just yet. Hamstring injuries, obviously, also notoriously difficult to come back from in the same way in the middle of the championship. Let's move on to uh, page one. So Clare six, tip five, Galway four, Cork three, Kilkenny two, Limerick one. This is all wrong, Will, by the way, but uh, Clare down two to six, even though they've got their players back. Tip up two to five, Galway down one, Cork up two to three, Kilkenny unchanged as your second best team, which is clearly wrong, and Limerick uh, number one. Yeah. So Clare, obviously the disappointment is that they let that seven points lead slip against Galway at the weekend. Very, very rare occasion um, where you've got Tony Kelly not scoring at all at the weekend. Given uh, Tony played like a remarkable pass to me and for the assist, which was probably one of the moments of the weekend. But for Tony Kelly not to score is completely remarkable, really. And Galway took control of that game in the second half against Clare. It's very hard to know. Clare been up and down in the league so far. If you were to look at the two most significant games that they played, Away to Limerick, with the exception of the bit of a second-half comeback, they were convincingly beaten. They lost the second half quite comprehensively against Galway at home at the weekend. And I think you're probably judging it slightly on that. I still like this Clare team, and as Jared mentioned, a lot of their main players are coming back in. And they played some lovely hurling in the first 15 minutes when Galway allowed them to do so. Uh, John Conlon just walking out with the ball at different stages in Ennis at the weekend. But I just kind of wonder at this stage whether Clare are quite clicking just yet. Again, you got to bear in mind, they play Cork this weekend. They probably would reckon that Limerick are going to qualify. So Clare will go off and do a mini training block probably after their last round of the league this weekend. And maybe they come flying into Munster like they did last season where they were so, so impressive and pushed Limerick to the pin of their collar. But at the moment, they look like they're just a little bit back on that level last year. Tipperary, I think you got to respect what they've been doing so far. They're averaging 33 points a game. That not, forward not line respecting them enough, so many options. Not respecting them enough to put them up to like second or third here. How are they behind Cork? Well, Cork have won four games from four. I mean, albeit the last two games were against a Wexford team with quite a few injuries and Westmead. I take that into account. But this is a Cork team who've won away from home, put four goals past Galway in Salt Hill and came from behind to beat Limerick in the first game and are doing so in Division Jeez, 1A. you're the captain of the Cork hype train here, Will. Like, I know. You have Cork I, fans booking off the day after the All-Ireland final at this rate. Not quite that, but I was slightly on the on the hype train last year after the Kilkenny game. I really thought after that semi-final in the league, it was like, you know what, Cork actually have all this hurling talent, but they've managed to just add that work rate to it as well and a little bit of steel. And then I went down to Thurlis to cover the league finals and Waterford just ran through them for sport. And I got concerned at that point. And obviously that form carried somewhat into Munster. And they never quite got back to that level that they seemed to be at at the semi-final of the league. And so they didn't push on to get to an All-Ireland final by the end of the year. But I think, I think Cork at the moment, it's fair to put okay. them in the top three based well, on what they've done. Uh, Colin wants me to mention Liam Cahill's managing style and the, um, the goal focus that they have, which yeah. obviously... We saw last year from Waterford in the league and it's definitely something like Tipperary have an explosive forward line. Now again, uh, I don't know, has there been an update on Callan's injury and how long he's going to be gone for, but he looked fit and he looked sharp and I'm sure his influence around the place and training is good for everybody else when they're trying to blend and meld that group that they have. So maybe his injury keeps them away from that. I, I, I actually think that it should be uh, Limerick on top, obviously, and then I'd have Clare and Tip and Kilkenny on a second tier that it's difficult to separate and then and underneath the those, fence, you have to put them in a the position OK Claire. well I, I would go Clare second on the basis that they got the closest to Limerick last year and that there's no reason for me to think 
that uh, there's anything going there and I'd have a tip behind them and then I'd have Kilkenny behind them and then I'd have Cork and Galway on a, a level underneath that but they're, they're Larry Burr's rankings not mine <laughs> no and like on the tip goal point that is a very good one I mean obviously at the weekend we saw them score goals for sport and uh, similarly they were incredibly efficient in front of goal away from home against Kilkenny in two of the most important games Kilkenny and Waterford that they faced in 1B like Jake Morris has played four games so far lads this year he scored 5-5 five, five from play uh, so in there they're calling him the new Lar at this point because he wears the same helmet the same socks and he's got a very similar shooting style <laughs> and grip style on his hurl I'm not sure he's quite at Lar levels yet but Jake Morris is really coming to the fore early in the year okay. and even if Callanan is missing Jason Ford can carry that scoring thread in the same way that Callanan has and seems ready and for it as well some, yeah. yeah they've melded some of those young players into that forward line as well we're not even talking about Limerick because there's no need they're, they're going to win the All-Ireland final by no, just, just Dermot Burns and Aaron Galan coming back at the weekend yeah. against Westmead to be able to bring them in when you see that Hegarty's not going to play but Dermot Burns is in to start Galan got to come on for a few minutes they've slowly but surely just kind of worked these players back in yeah. uh, with some of them coming in late and we haven't even seen Declan Hannan so far mm. um, they're captains so the, they, they look really well set up yeah. in the immortal words of Gaza I was, it wasn't bad was it come here um, we, we, on a completely different note uh, it looks like the Offaly Tipperary game is going to go ahead this weekend in the league and you know for the uh, competition's integrity it's really important for Tipperary to have the opportunity to win those points from Offaly's perspective you know they're not in a relegation battle really and they're not going to promote it really so um, you know very difficult circumstances in the wake of Liam Kearns passing um, so you know it's a, it is a difficult situation but it feels like that's the only thing they could have done yeah I think so I mean it's incredibly raw currently for the Offaly players because as many people have probably been reading or hearing about over the last 24 hours that Liam Kern spent a couple of hours uh, with the Offaly football panel on Sunday morning and I was talking to some of the players on Sunday night was actually a player who had texted me first who had uh, heard about it and I was just completely shocked by the news on Sunday evening as it was starting to emerge and the feeling was that they wanted to go forward this weekend and to play the game against Tipperary Offaly's Division 3 status is already consolidated but there is still that outside opportunity of going for promotion and because of the way the table is looking in Division 3 right now with Fermanagh down in Westmead also in contention to join Cavan in a league final it's important that this game is played and played this weekend because there's not really a window to play it ahead of the last weekend if it was to be pushed back uh, by a few days so my understanding is right now that Martin Murphy and John Rouse will take joint control of Offaly for this current weekend and that they're very keen to go and get a result on the back of what's been a very difficult week for the team because they've also involved in a big fundraiser which is coming up in a few weeks time and um, the late Liam Kearns was even in a video which I think was shot late last week and it had to be pulled at the weekend after the tragic news and uh, they had played Leash in a challenge game on Friday and I think a lot of people are still just coming to terms with the very sudden nature of the fact that Liam has passed away as well but um, that looks like it's going to be a two o'clock throw in I see Shane Brophy from the Nina Guardian has reported that the game has been uh, brought forward so it's no longer clashing with the rugby it was due to be on at 6pm uh, so it looks like an afternoon start in Semple stadium and given the affection that there is for Liam Kearns in Tipperary after their run to an All-Ireland semi-final in 2016, I would think that uh, both support, both sets of supporters uh, a neighbourly clash of the weekend uh, will be keen to pay tribute to Liam Kearns before that game at the weekend as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, good stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers, lads. It's Will O'Callaghan there. It's uh, 31 minutes past nine. OTV AM Live with Gillette Labs every morning. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. On tomorrow's programme, Keith Wood, Connell Gilligan, Champions League reaction, John Duggan live from Cheltenham and plenty more as well. Um, 
loads of uh, comments coming in. We didn't get to them. We will properly get to them on tomorrow's show. We're going to play out uh, with Kilkenny legend Tommy Walsh chatting with Joe last night about the league. Have a splendid day. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.